0: Hi everybody, Stefan Molyneux from Feet Made Radio. Hope you're doing well. It's a Saturday night, and this is how the cool kids roll. Uh, so, so anyway, I just—I'm <laughs> afraid this this joke of my daughter's is going to gonna take a, a a tiny bit of setup, but uh, I, I think I think that's a reasonable payoff. So uh, we play a game called "Meanie in Trouble," and I am a mean person, and she tries to recruit me into her nice gang and we have basically these great discussions about why be good you know why why but i want to join your nice gang i like being mean and so basically <clears throat> it's my job description in a nutshell <laughs> i'm trying to get people to join the nice gang but um one of the things that's true about the mean gang is you have terrible food like the food is horrible and we try and come up with the well i try and come up with the nastiest food that uh, you could imagine. And she says she loves chickpea soup. And of course, uh, she says, uh, if you join the nice gang, you'll also get chickpea soup. And the moment she says that, I go, oh, chicken pea. Who would want to have chicken pea soup? That's blah. Anyway, so that's quite funny. And uh, so in the mean gang, you get stuff like uh, Mac and Sneeze, you know, which is, uh, well, I think you could probably piece that puzzle together. <laughs> and um, I make her something called eggy toast. Uh, but this is leggy toast, which is uh, cricket legs and uh, and toast, also in the mean game, you get something called an ice cream sandwich, which is where people put a piece of bread on your head and then scream in your ear uh, so anyway, so we were just <laughs> making jokes about uh, we were making jokes about like what 's the <laughs> the most horrible food that you could possibly get and uh, and anyway, she was, I was just heading her to sleep, I was just heading out to bed um, we 're reading Lord of the Flies at the moment, and uh, because you know you just can 't have enough. Nightmares as a child. But anyway, obviously it's somewhat edited, but uh, so just as we're <laughs> just as we're heading to sleep, she says, "Dad, yeah, honey, do you know? I think in the in the morning, the mean gang is going to have a nice bowl of Erial. <laughs> <laughs> just great, just great. So, uh, anyway, I uh, also wanted to mention to my uh, to my black friends and listeners." Um, it's important to work on your racial insults correctly. You know, if you really want them to land, <laughs> calling me a hunky is not is not exactly what you're aiming for. I just wanted to, to mention that. I mean, cracker ass, I will grant you. But hunky, I take actually I would say with a fair amount of pride. You know, hey. I'm sexy and then know it. I work out. (laughs) So I just wanted to mention that, um, you know, insults that are so so wrong uh, are probably not where you want to go. Like, if you're going to get into a duel, pick a gun that doesn't go off in your face. Just wanted to mention that. But I wear hunky with pride. I I actually quite appreciate that. So, uh, Mike, anything else? Uh, (laughs) FDRURL.com slash donate. Help (laughs) us. Help me. To help you <laughs> give up any character-driven movies and do nothing but cartoony action crap until the end of time. Sorry, just a brief review of Tom Cruise's career. Could be worse. He could be Matt Damon. Anyway. Um, I'm still stuck on Hunky. I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> <You> still- <laughs> of all the YouTube insults, I missed that one. That's, uh- <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> I thought that was, just, that was quite delightful. So, um, oh. yeah. It's interesting, you know, again, for... For a group who's obviously you know, rightfully sensitive to uh, racial insults. Holy crap. Black people sure can fire the, <laughs> the honky cannon pretty uh, pretty quick and heavily. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not that I don't fit the description. Um, you know, I'm about as honky as a gaggle of startled geese. But <laughs> nonetheless, it just seems kind of ironic. It's like, don't use the N-word, honky. Uh, excuse me. i. <laughs> Maybe missing some of the UPP aspects of this conversation. Uh, anyway, uh, anything else we needed to? Uh, people have
1: been eagerly anticipating our video on Adrian Peterson, which will be coming out shortly, and it's probably going to be more than one, um, because there's quite a few things going on that kind of revolve around this whole situation. So that will be out shortly, but no, other than that, nothing to announce, really.
0: Now, I just would like to offer a prize to. This is a. It's called the Free Domain Radio Quiz. So. Mike, you'd say I sound pretty upbeat, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, upbeat. Now, for those who don't know, either Mike or I has been working on the Adrian Peterson story all day. (laughs) I wonder, I wonder if if anyone can guess which one of us has been working on the Adrian Peterson story for most of the day. Anyone? The first caller is... (laughs) That's right. Stay strong, Mike. Stay strong. The uh, well, thanks, and I'm sorry. I know it's. I mean, it's serious. it's pretty rough stuff to uh, to to grind through. And um, hey, it's a horrible situation. Are you also because you have a yeah, you have a history in sports as well. I mean, uh, for those who don't know, um, Mike was uh, pole pole dancer. <laughs> no, <laughs> lap dancer. Something to do with a champagne room. I, 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 g- I told you that in confidence stuff. Actually, it's how we met. <laughs>
1: You slipped me a 50 and I said, hey, can I work for you? <laughs>
0: it's like 50 cents. <laughs> you hunky. Anyway, um, but um, uh, no, I mean, Mike, Mike played uh, hockey for, uh, for many years. And uh, I, I think that's got some degree of your uh, – you have uh, quite a passion for things sports related and – you know, NFL related in particular. So I find it fascinating. Uh, I, think it is. I mean, yeah, it
2: is. I,
1: I want to do some stuff on that NFL concussion situation, and more information is coming out about that by the day. And it's, you know, it's really scary stuff. And it's not just obviously limited to the NFL, but all sports. And you have all these youth sports. I mean, I played hockey. I was on skates since I could pretty much walk. And in the early years, the checking or, you know, slamming into each other was not allowed. It certainly happened. But um, in later years, it's allowed. And I got got out pretty lucky, you know. I didn't have any concussions that
0: I'm aware of, but <laughs> well, in the concussion stuff, hey, easy. Hey, <laughs> that that could be self-defining. Anyway, go ahead. No, I I'm glad for that. Obviously, and people don't know this, of course, about me. But you know, I played um, uh, I played violin for for ten years, and like the left side of my neck sometimes, like after a lot long- – Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> But no, it's it's really scary and you get all these
1: really young kids with the giant helmets and shoulder pads on. It looks almost cartoonish and you know, they're full contact football. Just slamming into each other, and I'm sure it's a little more toned down than you'd see at the the older ages, but the all that old bungalows. Oh yeah, you know, developing brains, concussions, all that stuff, it's really
0: really nasty stuff. So. Oh, no, hit, hit us with a switch, we're probably more or less okay. But if we're four, say. No, and the NFL has recently in federal court papers revealed that their estimate, which I assume is on the low side, is that one out of three of their players is going to uh, end up with some – significant brain damage as a result of injury and that's just brain damage we're not even talking about other physical disabilities you know knees backs, oh like the knees and, and all that yeah they, they these i mean the people who get there are just the people who've dodged all the random bullets of 250 pounds of man meat crushing into you mm-hmm. on a regular basis uh so uh, it, it, it part, partly it's about skill and partly it's about hey i'm lucky i didn't take a sideways hit to my knee at any point in my career
1: yeah and hey, taxpayer, how about you pay for our new
0: stadium so we can watch men slam into each other? Yay! Yay! Yeah, n- nine, they did, what, Nine point six or $9.7 billion last year, and apparently 46% of the fans are women, and this is, of course, not a good situation for a lot of the women, that you have got these uh, wife-abusing, child-abusing uh, guys rolling around the uh, – the field, so yeah, they're going to have some problems. The more problems, the better. I, you know, again, I, sports is great, uh, but organized sports to me is like government science. You know, if you say you're against government sports, which is basically what most of these things are, you say you're against government sports, and people suddenly think you're against sports. You know, I don't like the, I don't want the government to build roads. Oh, so you're against roads? No, <laughs> no, nothing like that. So yeah, and I think it's just a massive. Bread and Circus is distraction for people. Uh, and uh, so I hope, that, uh, I hope that they, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm, if I watched them, I would boycott. Um, I would just boycott the whole damn thing. But uh, that's obviously everyone's decision to make for themselves. But I don't watch sports, so <laughs> me withdrawing my support isn't going to do much.
1: All right. Well, I could talk about the, the sports stuff all day, and I think we will in coming weeks in
0: videos that we're yeah. going to be
1: putting out. Want to uh, move on to callers? I am ready
0: to go. Oh, yes. Let's, let's, uh, let's chat with the people who pay the bills.
1: So, All right. Well, up first is Tommy. And Tommy wrote in and said, Trying to live in accordance with moral principles and applying them to others has left me very lonely, without neither friends nor partner. This f- feeling is especially hard being somewhat older. I'd like to know how you coped with this transition, since the loneliness I suffer has made me quite sad.
3: Hmm. Hmm.
0: Or can you tell me more?
3: Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, Thanks for having me on, by the way. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, so, yeah, well, when I look back uh, at the relationships that I've had, I've realized I've been the one working both sides. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've been considered, like, uh, amongst my friends, or what I back then called friends, I've been very socially, very functional, because I've been on all the time. I think you've used that phrase before, that you're on, you're being very, like, active.
0: Me plus, right? And peddling. Pedaling both sides of the uh, tandem bike, right?
3: Yes, exactly, exactly. And um, when my, I've had two longer relationships, and um, when the second one failed, or
0: wait, yeah. do you mean romantic or a friendship? Yeah,
3: romantic, uh, romantic right. ones. Oh, friendship-wise, if that's what we want to call them, I wouldn't call them that today. But I had a lot. But right. when my second romantic relationship failed, I just took a sabbatical and I moved away for a year to another country, and that's when I realized. And I started listening to your shows, actually. And I started just um, realizing that most of these friends didn't c- keep in touch if I didn't keep in touch. And when I moved back to my country or to my home country, uh, the few that were left, they couldn't really deal with um, me when I started. I wouldn't say challenging, but when I started speaking very openly to them, being very honest with how I saw our friendship and maybe thing I was just open how bad I felt about how they had treated me and such, and they could, couldn't deal with it. Uh, my little brother couldn't deal with it, and they kind of disappeared, and I realized that one of my... Most
0: so, sorry, I just just want to make make sure, you, so they didn't, so you moved away, they didn't really stay much in contact, and you come back and you said, hey, you know, it really bothered me that that you didn't really stay in contact with me while I was gone, and I had felt I had to do all the work, and they're just like, whoa, emotional reality, bye. Sort of, am I paraphrasing somewhat accurately?
3: Yeah. Most... The few ones that stayed in touch, somewhat, I challenged them as well because uh, when I was away, I was away for a reason. I felt pretty sad. I just needed to get away, and when I was open with them about it, even when back when I was back in another country, they said, "Oh well, basically, when you feel better, get back in touch." They just oh, didn't want to do.
0: Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, it was when, a bit unfortunate. When you're entertaining again,
0: I maybe could find utility for you.
3: Yeah, right. yeah, that's that's kind of the reality I woke up to.
0: Right, and well, I'm sorry about that.
3: Yeah. yeah, and I and I realized, well, at this time, that one of my most, one of my biggest fears is has been, has always been to end up alone, just like my mother. And I realize I'm this is becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. And uh, yeah.
0: no, 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 no. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Self-pity is beckoning, but I must <laughs> call you back from the pit. Right. No, you, uh, you, you, look, you you were alone, right? Like, I mean, if you're the entertainer, if you are me plus, as I call it, like, I can't just be myself, but I have to be sexy or rich or entertaining or fun or whatever, generous, uh, you know. I don't mean like a virtue, like generous, like buying things for people or whatever. If it's a me plus situation, you're already alone, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And that's... You know, that's I was trying to explain this to my daughter
0: to the other day. I was trying to explain this to my daughter. And I was saying, so, you know, if if you had a friend, and that friend said, uh, "I'm going to charge you," uh, you know, I will, I will, I will have a play date with you, but you need to give me ten dollars for the play date. What would you say? She'd say, "What? <laughs> That's terrible. That would be like me alone is me minus ten dollars, and I got <laughs> got to be like ten dollars just to me, make up for it. That's no good, right?" and so you're you're already alone if you're in a me plus uh, situation yeah yeah so the idea of ending up alone i think is uh is not accurate i just sort of wanted to to point that out
3: yeah no I, definitely you're right and and that's you know, the reality brain- i kind of woke up to is that i realized i probably never had any close relationships
0: no but tell me about your mom because that's that's the curse you're most afraid of right how she ended up
3: uh, yeah, well, she she's now ended up having – I have three siblings, other siblings, and we've all basically broken contact with her because um, she was very abusive, um, narcissistic, and uh, she's now sitting in her apartment all alone and having no right. contact with the world. Right. Well I, mean, as well,
0: I mean, think, I I think by definition, a narcissist is all alone no matter what, right? Whether they're around people – Or not, right? I mean, if I surround myself with stuffed toys, I can't claim to have a party. And I think that other people's emotional reality have about as much impact on a narcissist as the personal preferences of teddy bears. So, your mother has not, right? Who we are later on in life is who we were earlier made real, So if we treat people like crap and then they don't want to spend any time with us, well, we were alone, which is why we were able to use people and treat people like crap. We were alone, and now that aloneness has manifested itself in reality, right? Whereas if, you know, if we're kind and generous and people want to spend time with us and all that, then that's, you know, we we end up surrounded by people who love and care and all that kind of stuff. But your mother hasn't ended up alone the the selfishness and solitude of narcissism has simply become real and one of the things I think that is essential about a number of human endeavors is do not deny to people the effects of their choices right I mean just stupid stuff like Obamacare well if you don't take out health insurance and then you get sick well then you have a pretty rough go of it right because You have a lot of bills to pay. Uh, If you don't take out fire insurance on your house and your house burns down, then you're out one house, right? And, of course, um, people are desperate to avoid the results of their bad decisions. And statism is set up primarily to have people avoid the effects of their uh, bad decisions, right? It's a bad decision to go to war in Iraq. And now George Bush is... Off doing his paintings and showing everyone his paintings on his iPad and all this kind of crap, right? And uh, it used to be a very bad decision to have a child out of wedlock. And you can see this in Downton Abbey. You know, it says Downton Abbey, is, I just did a review of it. I mean, it's the most popular British show in a decade or two, 12 million viewers and all that. And. Partly, I think why people are drawn to it is because this is a situation where social rules were actually enforced and people paid for the consequences of their bad decisions. And I feel that if an insurance company can like, – you don't get to apply for fire insurance after your house burns down. And I remember when I was a kid, I used to sometimes listen to the radio uh, late at night, when uh, I couldn't sleep. I had a little tiny, tinny – Beach radio. And there was some comedy. I don't remember really anything about the comedy. I think I was like five or six at the time. But the comedy was somebody's boat sank. I mean, this isn't obviously the whole comedy. But somebody's boat sank, and that person was uh, upset. But they said, But at least we have insurance. And someone said, Ooh. I was actually just on my way to mail it, and then of course this was a huge catastrophe because you obviously can't. And I, I just remember that really clearly. as a sort of little kid listening to that show and saying, "Ooh, <laughs> that's bad, right?" I mean, I was just on my way to mail the insurance for the boat, but unfortunately the boat sank first. Well, you shit out of luck, right? And I remember that really clearly. And I remember as a kid, you didn't study for the test, you got an F, right? I mean, you. Whatever, right? So I just sort of wanted to point out that justice means not withholding from people the consequences of their decisions. For better or for worse, as I've said before, I pay the bills of virtue and of vice. And people who are used to manipulating the political process are shocked, shocked when they experience a negative moral judgment. So you know, I mean, single moms are a big enough voting block now that everyone is, "Oh, you're a single mom. You're so heroic. This, that, and the other. Right? You just did the bad man just knocked you up and <laughs> vanished, and you know, like a some Old Testament deity." I mean, it's uh, and then but then you come across like, "Well, that was pretty selfish and irresponsible of you." Now, wasn't it? And people are like shocked, shocked when there's a negative moral judgment. In other words, when you pay people the bills for their their choices, and um. So, with regards to your mom, and I'm sorry to go off on such a, a a rant, so to speak, but with regards to your mom, she was always alone, but the aloneness has manifested itself, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, definitely. And, and I do hold responsible, and, and the point is I'm like the opposite to a narcissistic. I, I suppose I became well, more codependent <laughs> when I look back at the relationships I've had, so... I, right. Yes.
0: Because you, you cater to other people's needs. I mean, that's all you can do with a narcissist. You either uh, you appease them or you get attacked. Right.
3: Yes.
0: It's like okay, well, now I'm big. I don't have to appease you, and I don't really like getting attacked. So I guess we don't have anything to talk about, do we? Yeah. Exactly. All right. All right. Now, uh, peeling back from uh, codependence. Uh, but tell me, tell me how, because I mean, obviously we just sling these words around as rank amateurs, at least for me. But uh, tell me what you mean by codependence. What is the, what are the characteristics of that?
3: It's um, taking responsibility for the relationship, like eighty, ninety percent of it. And also, I realized uh, one one common trait is that I've cared more about them than they've cared about me. Does that make any sense? I also codependent, I felt that I, I wanted to help, I wanted to live my life uh, or give purpose to my life through others. So having these relationships, I felt like, um, yeah, I felt there taking care of them or uh, helping them out was more important than helping myself. I don't know. If, and I really, yeah, I'm going to therapy now, so I realized that, or uh, well, I've come to the insight that I'm actually helping them instead of helping myself
0: what happens, right and then so then the moment you express needs because i mean the, the codependent attracts the narcissist and vice versa right you know it's one of these horrible key in the whole situations click go the tumblers and down goes the life right yes so then of course when you start to express needs to somebody who's selfish well you who wants to bother with you anymore right I mean, you don't buy a car to ask the car where it wants to go. (laughs) The whole point of using things is they're not supposed to have needs. They're just supposed to do what you want, right? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, the moment you start expressing needs, you become inconvenient and you get dumped. And then they go in search of someone else who's been smashed up by a prior selfish person so that they can continue to exploit the rich mine of not mineness is at the heart of these things, right?
3: Yeah.
0: Right. So, this is a a great fear, right? Because um, you have grown up to service the needs of others without, uh, and to actively suppress your own needs and preferences. Is that
3: fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that is changing now, but uh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, sure. Looking sure. back, that that's been a a common thread.
0: So, the, you know, I would argue. Argue probably sounds. Like the the wrong way to put it, I would say that the solitariness that you have to process is not to come, but in the past. Right? You you cannot help but feel worse than lonely around selfish people, because if you're alone, well, you can do your own thing, right? And when you're alone, you are not self-evacuated, if that makes any sense, yeah. right? So if if you're alone, hey, you can scratch whatever itches, you can eat whatever you feel like, you can run your own schedule. But if you have selfish and domineering people in your life, you neither get the benefits of solitude, nor do you get the benefits of connection, Right. So you really are in a desperate state of non-existence. And I would probably argue that for you, it is the prior state of non-existence. And it's really even worse than non-existence, because non-existence is kind of like death or coma or a dreamless sleep, which is not a painful state, but anti-existence. Right To focus on other people's needs and to actively suppress your own, is to experience the opposite of existence, it is for me at least in, based on my experiences of it, it is actually hell itself. I remember one summer, uh, my mother was supposed to go it doesn 't sort of matter the details of it she 's supposed to go away for uh, a couple of days, and uh, I was living at her place and I remember looking forward to those couple of days with like delectable, delicious, deep dish ice cream, deep fried Snickers <laughs> delight. And uh, she ended up being gone for months, ended up living in a homeless shelter, just all that kind of crazy stuff. But anyway, having her not there was fantastic. Like if you're living with a kind of predator, you can't relax, you can't be yourself, you can't... Really even experience your own needs, let alone act on them. Because all you're doing is focusing on how the other person may or may not act or may or may not need. And, of course, the, the goddamn selfishness of allowing yourself to attack others is uh, one of the most reprehensible behaviors. And uh, when you're around people like that, the people who fight dirty, people who will just say and do anything to get their way, uh, it is exhausting, and it's the very opposite of uh, of existence of life. And I think it's probably that in your past, that non-existence, the anti-existence, I should say, that would be the thing to most process rather than I might be alone in the future. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just that back. In those relationships, that's definitely not what I felt. It's more now I'm waking up to that fact, and it's not only the romantic part. It's also from the friendship side. When I, I think you mentioned it before. Like it's like you're dancing with ghosts. You go to parties, and uh, or even when I try to get back into the social circuits that I was once part of, it's just it's just different when you, when you have another approach to it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Oh, oh no, I know, I know because. Very few human relationships are constituted on a basis of equality. Uh, Mostly it's a form of exploitation and people are striving to have value and status so that they can exploit others. It's a pecking order, which is what happens in a society that's not philosophical. You end up with a pecking order because resources have to be allocated and conflicts have to be resolved. And if you don't have reason and evidence, you have to end up with dominance and submission. Right? I mean, it's how... Dogs don't reason with each other. They just growl and get a pecking order. Chickens, the same thing, right? Just get a pecking order. That's how we resolve disputes, and that's how society doesn't work or functions in its bare state at the moment is uh, we don't have reason and, and evidence to resolve our disputes. So it's all show and power and intimidation and so on, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, if you look at, um, just very briefly, so look at how do women have uh, a pecking order? Well, the women in general... Of course, there are exceptions, and this is different for various subgroups, but uh, women in general have a pecking order, which is, um, uh, has my vagina uh, bought me enough money that uh, I don't – that I can appear a high status, right? In other words, you know, why, why are there high heels? Well, obviously, to accentuate a woman's butt, but also because high heels – are impractical for manual labor. So when you're wearing high heels, you're signaling that you don't do any manual labor, right? That's status. Now, sometimes, of course, women have earned it, but the way these things developed was a man would generally buy them, this stuff. And why are there long fingernails? Well, because there are long fingernails, because long fingernails means you don't have to do any manual labor and you don't type, right? So you're very high status. Why do women wear white? Because white means you're not doing any manual labor, <laughs> right? You can, right, you, you can, right, so why do you wear expensive clothes, expensive fabric, even tight-fitting clothes, other, uh, other than the sexual appeal, tight-fitting clothes are an indication that you don't have to do any manual labor. Also, makeup. Um, makeup means that you don't have a job wherein you have to sweat, like a farmer's wife or something, right? So uh, a lot of what has developed, in partly to do with sexual attractiveness towards men, but a lot of female, like how do women get their pecking order sorted out? Well, it's just about status. It's not about philosophy. And the same is true for men, right? just sort of mentioning women. The same is true for men in a variety of ways as well. But uh, And so when you're in society and you're not interested in a pecking order, like you just don't care, it's like you don't, you don't fit in anywhere, right? Yeah. But what was it like with your mom? Tell me a little bit about that, if you can.
3: Um, it was uh, it was uh, quite hellish. She was uh, very verbally abusive, physically abusive. And she always uh, um, well she she uh, she took our, our siblings. She turned us against each other. Uh, right. Built packs. Uh, she turned us all against. All everyone against uh, our fathers, or my father, I would say. It. My me and my brother had the same father, so we never connected with anyone. So when I'm spoken to my siblings about this, we all realize, I I realize that we that we all lack this. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a knowledge or for competence, but for true connection. Right,
0: kind of descriptive, not connected. If that makes sense.
3: Yeah, it was, you see, I was, I just realized that from when I was very, when I was a, I think as long as I can remember, I've always heard that I've, uh, I just, I'm not good enough. I suck at everything. Um, She yelled, she, as soon as I did something... That she didn't like, uh, she would hit me. Um, I in turn uh, took that out on my little brother, which I have like extremely bad conscience for today. Uh, it was just it was just a very hellish upbringing. It's hard it's hard to put words on it.
0: And have you talked about this with uh, with friends,
3: or I guess? proximity people yeah I I tried but it didn't uh, it didn't connect what would they do when you would talk about this stuff they'd uh, usually start talking about themselves and their issues
0: oh yeah but enough about me tell me what you think about me yeah a little bit like that right oh yeah I remember right well I can give you a bit of advice I think that's I think all I can offer at, at this time. I can give you a bit of advice, and um, see see if this helps. Is there is there anything else you'd like uh, other
3: than that? No, that would be good because I I know that you you probably went through maybe not the same childhood, but you went through the same transition, right?
0: Oh yeah, of course, yeah, of course. Um, so the first thing that I would say is. It's that old line, I think it's Oscar Wilde, be yourself because everyone else is taken. I think really the point of self-knowledge is to learn that you can be yourself or you can be nothing. There's no other choice. Now, whenever you are yourself, it provokes people. Whenever you are yourself, you appear to other people who've lost. No, it's even worse than that. When you are yourself, in other words, you honestly self-express and are relentlessly yourself. You are unapologetically yourself. Then the way that people experience you, it's not just and it's not fair, but it is the way that people experience you is they tore up a winning lottery ticket and you won the lottery. And they feel like you're coming over and showing off all the stuff you won with the lottery ticket and they won't even tell you that they tore up a winning lottery ticket and threw it out. There's a resentment. I mean, if you go and peruse... You know, I wouldn't suggest you do this, but if you want to, you so go and peruse the um, YouTube comments. I mean, what do people say? Oh, Steph, you're so arrogant. You're, you know, unfeeling. You're just full of yourself. You love yourself too much. This, that, and the other. Why would that? Why would that bother? I mean, these are just words that that people say uh, out of uh, envy, right? I mean, I think that it's fair to say that I have a life that has is somewhat enviable. I mean, I get to talk about the most amazing and deep and important things in the world, get to do a lot of good. And I have justly earned my share of hatred from evil people, uh, which is all a mark of honor to a good man. And people resent authenticity. People also resent enthusiasm. Like uh, enthusiasm is considered nerdy, uh, naive, uh, geeky, uh, whatever, right? Because the lazy, squalid self-shitting of cynicism, it just seems like maturity. But all it is, is the scar tissue of cowardice. And like most cowards, most people will spend their lives enhancing cowardice and calling courage arrogance, and luring other people into the same sticky, syrupy trap of... Uh, cowardice and self-abdication. I don't know if people think like there's some prize that is out there. Like if you deny yourself and you conform, that you get some prize. Well, I don't think there is a prize for that stuff. And if there is a prize, it's my job and the job of other good people in the world to make sure that that prize is withdrawn from the world. So, to be relentlessly who you are, to be unapologetically who you are, is essential. It's an old and true statement that most people are not afraid of death. They're afraid of life, of actually living, of having responsibility, of self-ownership, of the acceptance of the consequences of their own decisions. It's not life after death that we need to concern ourselves with. It's the question of can we have life before death. That is actually what we need to concern ourselves with. Forget heaven. Can you come to life while you still have a heartbeat? I think for most people, that answer is uh, no. Express enthusiasm for anything, and people will generally take the French waiter approach as if they're peeing on you from a great height. Express passion about anything, and you provoke the scar tissue of those who have carved their own hearts out and fed it to their destroyers. Finishing off with their own hand the verbal battle of their historical abusers. But let not the deadness of the world strip you of the blood in your veins. The zombie horde wants you to eat your own brains, (laughs) right, and shit them out and join them. And that is a shameful thing to do. It's a tempting thing to do, I understand it. We are social animals. And the reorientation of the social mechanisms is the fundamental purpose of this show. People say, why should anyone be good? Well, we should be good because the more of us who are good, the more obvious evildoers will become. Right now, being an evildoer is very profitable. But in the future, being an evildoer will be very unprofitable. And raising the cost of evil, given that I understand economics, people respond to incentives. Raising the cost of evil is one of the primary functions of this show. Beat your kids? Hey, they don't have to see you when they grow up. You support the war? Fuck you, that has consequences in your life. Support the state? Support the war on drugs? Support the incarceration of peaceful people, self-medicating from bad childhoods? Fuck you, that has consequences. And people can spout off all kinds of allegiance to unholy bullshit these days. What negative consequences do they face? They only face negative consequences if they're moral. Well, yeah, okay, so the first people who act with integrity, well, they eat quite a number of shit sandwiches, or at least they have quite a number of them thrown at them. But as you move forward, the resolution changes the gravity of the social order. It changes the order. Up becomes down, black becomes white, and we've seen this before with slavery and other moral revolutions in the world. The first people who were against slavery were shit on. And now, if you're for slavery, you're shit on, right? And so, uh, to recognize that you are part of a larger story in the world and to cast aside your merely personal concerns is one of the most essential recipes for happiness that has ever been discovered. And I don't say devised, I say discovered. This is. Fairly well understood, in fact, I would say very well understood in the science of happiness. In the future, in the long run, your life is about adding to the glowing stars of the constellations of human virtue. To act as an example for others, to act as an example for the young, to act as an example for those who can come after you. To help stoke the courage of the uncertain by displaying the courage of certainty. That is your purpose. It's not to get along with empty people. And it's not to stuff your heart with hedonistic pleasures. Bad people will always try and tempt you with hedonism. Because if you pursue hedonism, you will not fight bad people. Because fighting bad people can sometimes be unpleasant. And so they will say, have a fun life. Enjoy yourself. And then bad people also, and I'm not putting you in this category, of course, bad people will also resolutely oppose you elevating any principle above your own personal pleasures. There would be no Christianity if hedonism had ruled the day. Because those people, the early Christians... Well, they were scorned. I mean, they were Jewish kids who followed a new Messiah. They were disowned from their families. They were thrown into prison. They were eaten by lions. They had a principle higher than themselves, which they were willing to sacrifice for. And this pisses off a lot of objectivists and a lot of libertarians. is the virtue of selfishness and my own pleasure and blah, 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 blah. But that's kind of hypocritical because most of the glories of our culture have aggregated because people were willing to undergo incredible discomforts in order to secure the freedoms that we now enjoy. And uh, it's funny how I mean, uh, Ayn Rand praised America madly. America was founded on a revolution which was decidedly uncomfortable and in fact death for many of its participants. They had a principle that was higher than themselves. Mormons go and teach in the third world as missionaries. And some of them do it, of course, for social ostracism and pressure and all. I get that. But for a lot of them, it is a higher calling. Uh, Muslims blow themselves up. Other terrorists blow themselves up. Higher calling. And if you can hook yourself into a higher calling, your happiness will almost certainly be secured if you hold firm and hold fast to the infinite strength, the deep and abiding gravity and rootedness of a higher purpose. I have found mine, my higher purpose is the non-aggression principle. In personable and actionable ways, it is the reward of virtue and the punishment of evil through the encouragement of living by the non-aggression principle. That is my higher calling, and it has been mine more or less since about the age of 16. I will be 48 years old in this blessed month of who knows what, who knew whether it would come or not. So I have been 32 years on the non-aggression principle and uh, have achieved great good. Just met a family today. Came up to me. I recognize that voice. They have a nine-month-old daughter never yelled at her, never hit her, and never will. They both came from challenging backgrounds, and it was beautiful. And my happiness and my contentment and my pride and my security, because if you hook yourself into a higher purpose and you act with courage and resolution in the pursuit of that higher purpose, you will never doubt the love of those around you because love is our involuntary response to virtue if we're virtuous. If you hold fast to the highest and most virtuous principles, you can find and act as an agent of virtue in this world. You will never doubt your value in this world. You will never doubt the love of good people, and you will happily earn the hatred of evildoers. So if you can find that purpose And the more rare it is for people to genuinely pursue and spread virtue, the more loudly they need to do it, right? Because otherwise, people can't find you, right? Don't be quietly virtuous in your own mind. That does not help the world very much. And it certainly doesn't help people to find you. So be vociferous, be unbearable (laughs) to bad people be annoying to cowards, be encouraging to those choosing strength over conformity. And you will not have, you you will have moments of of fear and you will have moments of insecurity in terms of what the future holds and all that, but you will never have moments of self-doubt. Once you have understood the reasoning, once you have accepted the principles and the necessity of those principles, then pursuing and spreading virtue is the greatest possible goal in life, in existence, in the universe as far as we know it. Aim to be the best person around you and good people will find you and they will never leave you and you will never leave them the good people will hold fast to you with hoops of steel because you are a diamond in a sea of glass. Irreplaceable. And people say, I'm lonely. That just means your virtue isn't loud enough yet for the good good people to find you, for you to find the good people. The friends and the wife that I have are going to be with me until one of us is dead because I'm not going to find a better wife, I'm not going to find better friends. My wife's not going to find a better husband, my friends aren't going to find better friends. It doesn't mean they can't have friends as good or anything like that. But that's where certainty and connection and security come from. Aim at virtue and everything else will fall into your place. Just don't do it quietly. Does that help at all?
3: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much for your question. I certainly wish you the best. And, of course, I'm incredibly sorry about your history. That is heartbreaking stuff. But um, there's always a way forward. And, you know, thankfully with the Internet, you can be loud in virtue and visible very easily.
3: Yeah. Thanks, stuff.:
0: You're very welcome.
1: All right. Up is Jason. And Jason wrote in and said, I recently read your book, Universally Preferable Behavior, and I have a question that I would like for you to clear up. If murder is immoral, then non-murder is a moral good. However, how can non-murder always be a moral good when things like, for example, running for a bus are morally neutral and not murder? Thank you for the opportunity and for all the time you spent educating and helping people.
0: Well, thanks. I think I understand the question, but I'm not entirely positive. So, uh, refraining from doing evil is uh, a virtue, right? Because if everybody refrained from if if everybody refrained from doing evil, in other words, if nobody initiated the use of force or fraud against anyone else, there would be no child abuse. Uh, No spousal abuse, no wars, no taxation, uh, no governments, no religion, uh, because that's a form of uh, aggressive fraud against children. So if everybody refrained from doing evil, then we would scarcely need the positive virtues uh, like like courage and and integrity in the face of disaster and so on. I mean, you might need some for sort of physical illnesses or um, ailments or whatever, but... Right. Or, you know, major setbacks, but not, so, so, so hang on, so difference. just a second, let right. me finish my thought. So, so if, uh, if everybody avoided doing evil, the world would be, um, right. The question kind is paradise. Is, Sorry, go ahead.
4: The question is, what is evil? Correct. That's what UPV is talking about. We're asking, okay, what exactly is evil? And you're jumping to the non-aggression principle and we can talk about that. I have,
0: no, no, I'm know, not, crit- no. No, hang on, hang on. No, no. You need to be fair. You need to be fair. I'm not jumping to it. That's kind of a um, uh, that's kind of a disrespectful way of putting it, because I take great pains in many pages to define virtue and its opposites. So I don't jump to it. If you've read the book, I'm just assuming you've read it and either understand and agree with, or don't agree with, or don't understand the arguments. But don't tell me that I've jumped to it when I've got a 300-page book defining each of my terms. Okay. So, is your question what is evil?
4: Let, yes. How, how how do we define what is truly evil and what is truly good? And that's what UPB is about. And and it comes to the conclusion. Well, okay,
0: that but, that, uh, but but, but is, uh, hang on. Okay. What do you get? What did you get from the book? As far as that goes, I mean, I can't just you well, know, okay. recite the whole I, book here, right? Okay,
4: I'll I'll give you my impression of the book. So I read the book, and my impression was that it was a consequentialist. Uh, dialogue, And I I know that you've talked about, you know, how you think consequentialism isn't um, the keystone of what morality should be. It's intentionalism. But, you know, the word intent only appears three times and no. doesn't appear in a context.
0: I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm not sure what you mean when you say, sorry to interrupt. I'm not sure what you mean when you say intentionalism.
4: OK, like, um, you know, one's one's moral intent is what determines one's morality, not the consequence of one's actions.
0: Right. Wow, I don't know what book you've read but that's nothing I've argued for.
4: Okay. <laughs> so you do you think that the consequences of one's actions determine one's morality?
0: No. Neither does one's no. intent.
4: Not Okay, so what Okay, I'm I'm a bit confused. One one's intent is one Well,
0: no, no, intent. hang on, hang on. So let's say let's say that um you're judging whether somebody is a scientist or not, right? mm mm-hmm. Mhm. How do you judge whether somebody is a scientist or not?
4: Uh, well, I assume that it would be hmm, one who does science. <laughs> one, well,
3: that's one who, logical, one...
0: right? But what, what is science? Right. Right? How do you Why know would, if someone is doing science?
4: One who you know, brings reason and observation to a point to discover things about reality.
0: Right. So you know somebody's a scientist if they are pursuing rigorously. The scientific method, right? If they're using the scientific method to determine truth and falsehood, or validity or invalidity of a hypothesis, then they're a scientist, right? Yes. Okay. Now, does the consequences of their scientific pursuits determine whether they're a scientist or not?
4: Um, I, I would say yes, because if no. one, if, if 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 one if one uses an uh, observation,
0: right? No, 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 no. Let's say that they're, they are pursuing the – they are doing the scientific method. Okay. Does the consequences of their pursuit of the scientific method determine whether they are a scientist or not?
4: Hmm. The consequences.
0: Right. So, so let's say that they produce something that is a terrible weapon. Well, right. they're still a scientist, right? You may say, well, I wish they hadn't produced that terrible weapon or whatever, but that has no bearing on whether they're a scientist or not. That's true. If they have achieved the production of that terrible weapon using the scientific method, then they are a scientist. I mean, you can say an evil scientist, but they're still a scientist, right?
4: Uh Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Because they're utilizing the scientific method.
0: Utilizing the scientific method, right? So the consequences don't matter as to whether or not they're a scientist, Right.
1: Um,
4: sure, yeah, I agree with
0: that. Wait, Don't you, so you agree, okay. Now, what about their intention? Their if intention? I say, well, I really wanted to use the scientific method, but I ended up reading chicken entrails, does that mean I'm a scientist or not?
4: Um, hmm. So, if my intention is to use the scientific method, but I, I end up not using the scientific method then I'm not a scientist in that regard. Okay.
0: Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean in that regard? That sounds like weasel words to me that you can back out of (laughs) later. In what regard would I be a scientist if I said I wanted to pursue the scientific method and then I did the opposite of what the scientific method is?
4: Um, Well, if your intention was to use the scientific method and then you use the scientific method, then you would be a scientist.
0: No, no, don't use the scientific method.
4: If you don't, then you're not.
0: Okay, so my intention doesn't matter.
4: Yes, in regards to, one, being a scientist or not.
0: Yeah, and of course, intention is self-reported, right? It is. Mm -hmm. Right, so, like, like this guy who just beat up his, this guy, this football player, uh, Patterson, I think, who just beat up his kid, he said it was uh, not my intention to harm the child, right? Right. Yeah. But it's not I don't know stuff. that. You don't know that. The child doesn't know that. That's we a completely subjective. That. That's like me saying yesterday, we I thought of the color mauve nine times. Can you prove that? No, of course you can't, right? So we, because we, it's a purely subjective, subjective state, intention successful. has no validity uh, in philosophy. Sorry, go ahead.
4: We we can use science to discover whether one's, you know, truly had the intention. So like, you know, DNA evidence or, you know, that's what the court justice system is about, you know, discovering what one's intention is. So,
0: wait, wait, sorry, like, are you saying that you can use DNA to discover people's intentions?
4: not, not absolutely, not absolutely, but yes, we can so okay, let's say that um, okay I, I i haven't I haven't like come up with an idea like a case scenario where DNA is used, but let let's let's use this sh- uh, scenario to so I can show you that you know intentions do critically matter in morality so let's say um, some someone pushes someone pushes me into somebody else and that person falls off a building and dies or something, something horrible, right? My intention was not to have that person fall off the building and die. But I was, you know, part of that reaction that caused that the thing to happen.
0: Right? No, you're you're still gonna get charged with murder, you know that, right? Me? But but I No, I mean sorry, I, whoever pushes. Whoever – like if you push right. someone because, and then that someone yes. staggers right. and yes. then somebody else falls off a building, you still get charged with murder, right?
4: Indeed, that, that the, the person who pushed, but not, not the person who's in that,
0: in that reaction. Not the in-betweener. Who, no, I understand that. Happened – yes, indeed. I understand indeed. that. So, so, so it's still – so even intent- though the intention is accidental, right? So if I, if I punch you in the there's face no, no, no and you intention. die – There's no intention.
4: Ahead. If it's accidental, there's no intention.
0: Right. I understand that. So the person who begins no, the accident. pushing is the person who gets charged with murder, right?
4: Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes, because that person's intention was to do the thing, to murder, right?
0: Well, no, I thought that it was an accident.
4: Well, me getting in the way was an accident.
0: I, 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 and sorry, and I'm sorry. I'm, I don't know what we're talking about here. So wait, okay. I push you, you grab someone else, and they fall off a building?
4: Um, no. You push me, I bump into somebody else, unintentionally, and then they fall off the building.
0: Yeah, so I am then charged with murder.
4: Yes, because your intention was to murder, not because... Because your intention well, was to intention kill. my intention was to push
0: right? you. My intention was to push you. Yes. But it, and so there's a difference between... So you're talking but, but the difference that's between, that's like, manslaughter and first degree, or second degree murder, right? Right, 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 exactly, yes. Okay, but no, we're not murder. talking about... No, no, hang on, hang on. Hang on, so... It's or not or essential it's to morality. Oh, sorry. Uh, for some reason, <laughs> you keep talking, but I'm okay. talking. So why don't you finish your thought, and then I'll go ahead.
4: Okay. Murder is the intention to kill, and that is way worse than accidentally, you know, ha- happening to kill somebody. You, you, you can accidentally kill somebody and not go to prison and not have to pay anything because it's an accidental killing. So, like, if, if I, you know, park my car on a, on a hill... And it snows, and there's ice everywhere, and then you know, something happens, and the car slides down the hill. Like a tree hits the car. A car slides down the hill, kills somebody. That's not – because I put the car in park on the street, I'm still not liable. Yeah, to I
0: th- get it. I get it. People accidentally yeah, so, die, and that's not murder.
4: Yes. So a person's intention is clearly a key factor to morality.
0: Well, accidents – by definition, are not moral events, right? Because they're accidents, uh, right? So obviously, for no, somebody no, no, no. to do no. something okay. immoral requires that I, they will it, I have an right? I have an argument.
4: So, I'm sorry. One's integrity, one's integrity remains intact if the the action that happened was unintentional. So it still has a bearing on your morality, right? It still has a bearing because it was unintentional. That, that has a bearing on your integrity.
0: Okay, but we're in agreement here, right? Which is that things which are accidental are not immoral. Like if I suddenly have an epileptic attack and hit you by accident, that's not assault, right? Okay,
4: you said things which happen by accident are not immoral.
0: Yeah, there's no moral category called oops, right?
4: Mm, wouldn't you say it's a neutral? That would be a moral neutral. So it's a moral category.
0: It's it's not moral. It's not a moral category. It's neither good nor evil. That's it's right. It's morally neutral. So accidents neutral are morally not neutral, not moral right? Neutral
4: is, moral neutral is not a moral category.
0: Neutral is not a moral category. That's right. And accidents would fall into a neutral moral category right now there could be negligence there could be whatever right like you wait, might be okay, culpable okay.
4: wait wait you you just said you just said accidents fall into a neutral moral category
0: no no sorry then, accidents be- fall That's- into a non-moral category sorry the category okay. is I'm neutral not- which means that there's right. no moral content
4: okay no moral con- no moral content right. right i'm 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 just trying to like you know get my head around this idea. I'm, I'm still open to this idea. Honestly, I'm just, I'm just having trouble Sorry getting what my head that around. That that well, okay. I'll, I'll elaborate. So if murder is a moral good, you're saying that it's immoral to not murder. If, if we have two people in a room yeah. and yeah. You know, murder and, and in this scenario, murder is immoral good. So you know, or, Sorry, to be
0: technical, murder, the test is testing. murder is morally. Pref- sorry, murder is universally preferable behavior. Okay, so
4: in order to test out if murder is um, of, okay, I'm not sure how to explain this. It's it's, it's let, me it wrote, it wrote, let me explain it
0: since I wrote. Let me explain it since I wrote the book. Okay, go ahead. okay. Go, ahead, go ahead. Let's just let's just go with stealing because it's a slightly easier category to to work with. Okay. And so, if um, <laughs> if you give me something, I cannot mm-hmm. simultaneously steal it from you. Is that fair?
4: Right. If my intention is to allow you to have the item, then obviously you can take it, and it's not stealing at all. But if yeah, my intention like, is
0: don't don't take this, yeah, yeah, got then, it. So yeah. I, I can't give I can't give ten dollars to a homeless guy and then complain to the cop that he stole it from me. Right. Indeed. Indeed. Okay, I mean, I can, right? Yeah, but it just wouldn't no, I mean, like make makes right. sense, right? So There's stealing, no stealing cannot be universally preferable behavior, because if it's if it's universally preferable, then everyone must want to both be stolen from and to steal, right? Well, you're
4: implying that not stealing is a moral good.
0: Wait, wait, wait! I'm right in the middle of an argument here. What are you doing? Okay. Where are you okay. jumping? Where are you jumping now?
4: Sorry, okay, go, go. sit. Okay. Just be
0: patient. I've, I've literally been going to try and prove ethics right. to you at this My point fault. for about 35 My seconds, fault. so give me another 20 goddamn seconds and then you can go on a tangent, all right? Okay. So, so, if stealing is universally preferable behavior, mm-hmm. then everyone in the theory must both want to steal and to be stolen from. Now, if I want to be stolen from, if I want you to take something I have, then you cannot steal from me because I want you to take it.
4: Okay. Okay. This, so stealing, what,
0: cannot be, uh, stealing cannot be universally preferable behavior. It cannot be achieved by two guys in the same room because they're like, let's say I have an iPod and you have an iPad. If stealing is universally preferable behavior, then I want you to steal my iPad and you want me to steal your iPod and vice versa. And they, like, it can't be achieved because it's only stealing if the other person does not want the property to be transferred, right? right? So, so stealing – and yeah. the same is true for assault yeah. and murder and rape uh, and theft, right? They simply cannot be so, so saying, universally preferable behaviors. Sorry, go ahead.
4: So you're saying everyone should want other people to steal –
0: No, that's not what I said. If stealing is universally preferable behavior, then the logic Mm -hmm. does not hold because you end up with contradictions, which is that you want someone to take your property because stealing is universally preferable behavior. But if everybody wants everyone else to take their property, it's not stealing. It's the zeitgeist city or something, right? Something else.
4: So you're saying that like in this scenario, I should want other people to steal and And that's why it's
0: if you want someone to take your property, it's not stealing right right like let's let's put it this way. If I put an old washing machine out on my front lawn and say, "Take me," do I want someone to take my property
4: right i, I understand right. No, no. Do, do I
0: want someone in that situation, do I want someone to take my property
4: um. Okay, say it again. If I put my, oh, I put my washing
0: All right. machine on the If I put an old washing machine on my front lawn right, with a sign that says, take me, please. Right. Do I want someone to take my property? Yes. Right. If someone takes my property, are they stealing? No. Right. So this is why stealing cannot be universally preferable behavior because everybody must both want and not want, at the same time, their property to be taken. They have to want their property to be taken because uh, the the transfer of property is universally preferable, but they have to not want it to be taken because if they do want it to be taken, it's not stealing. So they have to both want their property to be taken and not want their property to be taken at exactly the same time and under exactly the same circumstances, which is literally like saying gravity both attracts and repels in exactly the same circumstances in science, and that's not valid, right?
4: I see the logic. Now here's an argument. So let's say it's universally preferable for each and every individual to want to steal. So each and every individual personally wants to steal. Can that be universally preferable? For each and every individual to want to steal themselves, and not make more judgments. No, no, because it's universally. If it's right. a so universal each, value, each then per- it
0: must be universal. It can't right. just each be every, one way.
4: Each and every person wants to steal. Each and every person has a desire. So each to and every steal.
0: person. Just yeah, each themselves. and every person. But right. if each and every person wants to steal, then each and every person must then want to steal and be stolen from.
4: No, not necess- No, not necessarily. Go ahead. I mean, I, I don't. I don't see why people have to want to be stolen from. If, if if a person considers that, hey, it's universally, you know, it's universally preferable. It's universally fine. It's universally, you know, desirable to steal. Then I'm just going to steal.
0: Right, but universally means and be stolen from because every stealing is both stealing and a stealing from right so if it's universal then it must be preferable to both steal and be stolen from because there's no stealing without a stolen from right
4: right but i
0: don't see how
4: like i don't see how one needs to necessarily think that one needs to be stolen from in order to be moral in that scenario
0: no no because no, no, you're thinking is, you know, you're thinking about the individual perspective but we're talking about universalizations right right I mean it's like saying does, so, does each rock want to fall down well no if we're talking about gravity okay. we're talking about a universal right we don't worry so, about each rock we, we're talking about universals so, a philosophy right so in
4: this scenario one imagines that um, you know it's okay it's okay if you want to steal from me but I'm going to protect my stuff anyway you know, I'm going
0: to make well, it Well, then, no, If you, the moment, no, the moment you take steps to protect yourself, then mm-hmm. you were saying that stealing is not a universal – not universally preferable because you're denying other people the well, capacity I mean, to steal from people. I mean,
4: what, 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 what you'd be doing is you'd be saying, okay, I'm going to protect my stuff so that they can try to steal it, so that so their intention will be moral. So, so you want them to steal, not steal
0: – hang moral. on. So you want them to not steal – and to steal at the same time.
4: No, 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 no. You, you, you want them to steal, but you're protecting it because you, because you want them to be moral.
0: Right. So you want them to not steal, which is why you're protecting no, 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 it, or you want them to not take it, which is why you're protecting no, no, it. Because no, if you, oh, Hang on, let, no, let no, me finish. Because if you didn't no, want to take no, it, it wouldn't be stealing, right?
4: No, my intention is I want them to steal. Okay, in no, this scenario. That's
0: automatically... No, if you want them to steal, it's not stealing. What? We just went over this with no, the washing machine. No, no, no.
4: No. <laughs> no, I want... Okay, okay. I think I
0: see what you mean. You can't want them to steal. The whole point of stealing is it's against your will and desire.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Otherwise, it's, you know, hey, I, I left a pie on the front lawn, come kids and eat it, right? No, that's not stealing, right? And Take my washing machine, please, right? you have to not want them to take it in order for it to be theft
4: Uh
0: and this is why theft, rape, murder and assault all fail the test of universally preferable behavior whereas the maintenance of a respect for persons and property completely passes the non-aggression, sorry, completely passes the test of universally preferable behavior and isn't it nice when you have an ethical system that logically establishes the, the validity of the great four moral bans in most human systems, uh, excluding the state and excluding religion and excluding God? And right, but you know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. What is generally so, passed off as ethics for the peasants?
4: Mm-hmm. So, stealing is a moral good in this scenario.
0: Not, stealing well, If you can stay with, with universally preferable behavior, at the moment okay, you start putting okay. moral good in, it, it starts to short-circuit everyone's okay. brain.
4: Okay. So, stealing is universally preferable. universally
0: preferable behavior.
4: Not stealing is not universally preferable.
0: No, no, no. Not stealing is universally preferable behavior. Or at least, sorry, a theory which says... Okay. A respect for property rights is universally preferable behavior. Well, that can be achieved, right? Two people in a room cannot steal from each other, right? There's no innate contradiction. No self-detonating situation Mm -hmm. is set up when you say Mm -hmm. respect for property is universally preferable. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You don't end up in the same impossible tangle when you say violations of property rights or stealing is universally preferable behavior. The moment it's universally preferable, it can't be achieved because you have to have people both want and not want people to take their property. That's impossible. That just can't work, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this is
4: definitely giving me uh, some food for thought. Like, just, really think, think,
0: just think of it Like, think of it in terms of, again, just sort of the basic physics is a useful thing. And I, these are great questions. I really appreciate them. But think mm-hmm. of it like this. So let's, I don't know, do you ever, have you ever played tennis or squash?
4: I've never played tennis. Table tennis.
0: Okay, table tennis. All right. Um, so if you were to say, let's say you were, uh, you were studying table tennis and you wanted to be mm-hmm. really good at it, and you, you hired a coach, right? Right. And then you said to your coach, listen, first thing I want to learn is, what do I do when the ball comes towards me and goes away from me at the same time? What would he say?
4: Hmm. Well, this is, you know, a bad coach.
0: <laughs> like oh, no, a no. bad question. What would he say? Questioning. He'd questioning. say, "Well, that's oh, not possible. Well, the ball cannot be coming towards you and going away from you at the same time, right?" Right. I mean, it can be sunny and raining at the same time, but it cannot, right? So that's just not, like that would be dismissed out of hand. And when it comes mm-hmm. to theft you cannot both want someone to take your property and not want them to take your property at the same time right right so it can't be universalized okay i'm in the midst of being persuaded. no no hey take your time it's a, don't don't take forever but definitely take your time uh, right. it's a, it's a very big and important uh, set of questions so um, mm-hmm. i hope that uh, i hope that helps okay. uh, do you mind, do you mind if we I'll, move on to the next caller cuz we turn Try and get through for God help us tonight. But uh, great, great questions. Uh, seriously, that was well, some good I, stuff. You've got a great, a, great I, brain for this stuff.
4: I have a critique of the non-aggression principle. I'd like to bring up. If that's okay.
0: No, I'm sorry. We're going to have to move on to the next one. But definitely call back. We're trying to sort of do a one topic per <laughs> per caller. But uh, definitely do call back in with that critique. I certainly like to hear it. But okay. um, Mike, if we could move on to the next caller. The discussion. Goodbye. Thank you.
1: All right. Thanks, Jason. Uh, Up next is Travis. Travis wrote in and said, I feel guilt for a lot of things I've done in the past. How can I get past the guilt if there isn't a specific person to apologize and make reparations to?
0: Well, I think you serve as a warning to other people to not do those things. Anyway, uh, so what is it that you're you're upset about that you've done?
5: Um, First, I just want to say I have a lot of social anxiety and I'm pretty nervous about this call. Oh, no
0: sweat. I appreciate you telling me that. Thanks so much.
5: Uh, I've done a lot of... I've been a drug addict and done a lot of things to go
0: along with that. Um, well, what are those things? You mean lying, cheating, stealing, that kind of stuff? Yeah, all that. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Do you um, want to, you mean me to ask questions? Do you want to keep going? Again, I sort of want to respect your anxiety, and if there's anything I can do to help out, I'm happy to try.
5: Yeah, I would prefer if you, you just asked questions and took it wherever you Okay. That was most useful. Why
0: why do, you think, uh, why do you think you became a drug addict?
5: Um, after listening to your show, I would assume it has something to do with my childhood.
0: Wait, is this the first time you're thinking about it?
5: No, I've I've thought about it.
0: Okay, so don't don't try and pin it on me then. Well, after your show, I guess you'd say it's something to do with... Right, so what do you think um, uh, occurred in your childhood if you think it may have contributed, that did contribute? Um, my father was
5: abusive and... I think he's a bit sociopathic.
0: Usually, it's not a bit sociopathic, so yeah, you've got to he, stop hedging and just give me the straight goods, right?
5: Yeah, I definitely believe he's a sociopath. <laughs> and I was spanked and
0: all that. Well, it was more than spanked, right? Yeah, he was an alcoholic, too. So what you wrote to me or to us was implements were used, sometimes ranging from switches, which is, I guess, small branches of trees. Yeah, that's correct. Belts, Hot Wheels, racetrack sections, fly swatter, etc. My father bragged to friends that you could train anything with a fly swatter, and by that he, I assume, meant you as well, right? That's correct. And uh, you also, because you have an adverse childhood experience score of five, um, neglect. How did that show up? My dad. Technically, like the category is like not enough food, dirty clothes, no protection, or medical treatment. Those are just examples. They well, some or others or all may have been true for you. How did the neglect show up, Travis?
5: Pretty much just nobody around to. Uh, if I needed something, there was nobody there. Often.
0: And uh, from what age was there nobody there? Mm, Ten or so. Right. And so you'd be left alone for kind of extended periods of time? Yeah. After I got home from school, it was just me and my brother. You and your brother. And is your brother older or younger? He's younger, four years. All right. So basically you became sort of a parent when you were 10 and your brother was six, right? Somewhat, yes. And um, did you have enough uh, food, health care, dental care?
5: Yeah, that was – we always had food in the house and so on.
0: Okay. And you said your father was an alcoholic? I mean, that's a term that ranges of a pretty wide description of behavior. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that he was a – a pretty hardcore alcoholic.
5: He would drink probably a half case of a beer a night.
0: Jesus. Right. And what was he like when he was drunk? It, it was very erratic.
5: Some days he would be just, you know, leave me alone, basically. And other days he would be a, a raging asshole.
0: Right. And that's when, I guess, sometimes there'd be this violence, right, that uh, was somewhat unpredictable, I would assume, right? Yeah, very unpredictable. Yeah, one day he doesn't give a shit about something you've done, next day you're getting beat up for it, right? That's correct. Right, right. And your mother?
5: Um, I can't think of a whole lot that she did that was directly, you know, she didn't ever beat me or anything. Um, she married my dad, obviously, and made those decisions, but <laughs> I can't think of anything directly that she's, you know.
0: Oh, so she didn't, uh, she didn't hit or, uh, verbally abuse her?
5: Or... No, she, she didn't know that. Oh, interesting.
0: Did she ever provoke your dad into, uh, aggression? Like, uh, you wait uh, till your dad get home, or can you believe what these kids did, and? Yeah, that
5: did happen occasionally.
0: So she would use his fists as a proxy, right? She'd be like the the puppet mistress of the hell dad, right?
5: Yeah, that's correct. Until he took it too far, I guess, in her eyes, and then
0: she would stop it, basically. And what does uh, taking it too far look like to your mother
5: basically when it went past uh, spanking and went to, you know, punches, kicks, so on.
0: Right. Was your uh, father an alcoholic when your mother was dating him, do you know?
5: I don't believe so. They they got married very early. All right.
0: And uh, did your mother stay married to him? Is she still married to him?
5: No, she got a divorce.
0: um, Oh, she got a divorce. So she found him pretty unbearable. And when did that happen?
5: When I was about 14. Right.
0: Right. And around 14, am I right in guessing that you began to fight back a bit? Yes, I did. Yeah. So suddenly you're big enough that you can't be just physically dominated by your father, and your mother finds it uh, unpleasant and leaves, right?
5: I think that was part of it, yeah. She, yeah.
0: Well, what were the other parts of it?
5: Uh, I believe she started having an affair.
0: Yeah, well, six of one, half a dozen of the other, right? I mean, if you're going to leave, you might as well have an affair, right?
5: That's correct, yeah.
0: And how's your brother doing?
5: Um, Not terrible. I think he's not a good parent.
0: Is he hitting? <laughs> yes. Shit. Shit, shit, shit. All right. Do you have any influence over him? Not, not much. I guess it got eroded a bit during the drug addiction, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. So, when you say that you have no one... Oh, well, first of all, I'm incredibly sorry. That is an absolutely shitty way to start life. You know, I personally think that your drug addiction probably has something to do with the fact that you don't give your mother much responsibility, credit, or blame, but that's perhaps a topic for another time. Um, who is it that uh, you feel you have harmed significantly through your drug addiction? Other than yourself, of course.
5: At the time, everyone everyone around me. And was, when did it start? When I was about sixteen, maybe.
0: Right. And uh, what was going on in your life uh, at the t- when it started? I mean, I assume you were fighting with your dad quite a bit.
5: Yes, I was. Um, I quit school. And started hanging out with. You know other addicts and.
0: Well, but hang on, but that's after, right? So, what was going on before you quit school?
5: Um. My grandmother, about that time, and that hit me. So pretty, your grandmother, what? My grandmother died, and that hit me pretty hard.
0: Yeah, and of course, you don't really have much capacity to handle grief because. You've got a lot of contempt and rage and sorrow and all. You don't really have a way to legitimately process grief, right?
5: Yeah. That was also the first time I got arrested. A week after that,
0: A week after your grandmother died, you got arrested? And what did you get arrested for? Um, vandalism. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, the rage, the sorrow, the, right? That, um... You have no social bond right you you have no bond with society at that point right
5: that's that's very true,
0: yeah, it's like the fucking world left me to a shit to a shit childhood and didn't do anything, so why the hell should I respect anything society has or does or is right exactly no i uh, I get that uh, people steal because they've been stolen from, and people vandalize because. Their childhoods have been spray-painted with the feces of evil. And a society that does nothing to step in and help children, well, you plant a demon seed, you raise a flower, a pretty dark fire, right? Right. And how did your dad react to all of this? Uh, Can I go out on another limb and assume that he just doubled down?
5: (sighs) Ah. Not quite. He, he kind of just separated and just stopped doing anything. Stopped trying to discipline me or any, anything like that. And except for the the occasions where he, he had a, a raging fit when he was in drag.
0: I'm sorry, can you just repeat that last bit again?
5: Uh, except for the, the times when he would but rage when he was drunk. Right.
0: Right. And I'm going to assume that he did not accept any responsibility for how you turned out as a child.
5: No, he's...
0: Sorry, as an adult, as a young adult, right?
5: Yeah, he hasn't accepted any responsibility for that. Right. Right.
0: And how did your mother react to all of this? Did you have any kind of contact with her?
5: Yes. Yes yes she uh she didn't i can't remember anything changing really she she didn't act like it was a huge deal kinda
0: right and did she she ever apologized for her role in the abuse that you suffered and choosing your dad and sometimes encouraging your dad to abuse? No. Shit. I'm very sorry about that. man. I really am. That's wretched, wretched stuff. Thank you. You know, it sounds to me, I mean, unless you've got a pile of hobos buried in your basement, it sounds to me like you're a man more sinned against than sinning. It's probably I think you're owed. I think you're owed a lot more apologies than you owe, and I doubt you'll get them.
5: Yeah, I don't. I don't expect them right. anytime soon.
0: So, um, do you want to talk more about your childhood? Do you want to talk about the things that you regret? What would be best for you? Um
5: wherever you think would be the the
0: the best place to go I would be the expert yeah I'm not sure I'd characterize myself that way but well, well there's one of two choices right so, so my concern is that if we talk about the stuff you regret that you might end up self-attacking okay whereas if we talk about the wrongs that were done to you then the things that you did will probably be more in perspective, because um, it's it's you know it's kind of a paradox it's hard to apologize for things we have not forgiven ourselves for, and um, f- forgiving oneself means understanding the root causes of the dysfunctional behavior. I mean, losing your mom, then losing your grandmom in two years, that stripped, I would assume, the majority of female influences out of your life, for better and for worse. Yeah. During a time of, you know, sexual awakening and uh, testosterone and all that kind of stuff that goes on in um, childhood, uh, teenage years, right? I mean, it's a, I mean, I don't have to tell you this, right? It's a, it's a pretty crazy fucking time, right?
5: Yeah, I became sexually active at a young age, too.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I went from being a pretty quiet and uh, shy kid to, like, screaming at my mom to, like, I mean, geez, it felt like I was just being possessed by my balls. It was a crazy time. And uh, I didn't, you know, suddenly I just had all of this wild passion. And not just sexual, but, but... for independence for freedom for autonomy for adulthood i i mean it just it just it all, it all erupted in me like pouring lava on ice i just turned into this discontented steam god it was a crazy time and um i mean it's it's a tough enough time as a whole but you throw a crazy and violent and substance abusing family into the mix i mean it's some pretty crazy shit to go through, right? Uh, and it goes on for years. Yeah. So I'm incredibly sorry for everything that happened. What was, what, was the, what was the drug that you got into when you were 16?
5: Opiates, pain pills.
0: Right, right. And what was your, what was your experience and what was your feeling when you first started taking them? What occurred for you physically and emotionally and mentally?
5: Euphoria. It was just the best feeling ever. I don't... I can't... Uh, just a numb like my brain could stop for a little bit and I could... Just let go of... Uh,
0: and what do you mean, let go of what?
5: Just worries and
0: stress right
5: stress yes exactly
0: yeah the constant uh helicopter blade that's always close to your jugular of rotating concerns and fears and anxieties and angers it just wipes that away isn't it sort of blast them away in a beam of light right exactly and there's contentment right there is um i don't know would you say peace of mind is that the right way to put it that's that's very well put so there is, um, like a, like a sense of comfort in your own skin that, that you don't feel before, right?
5: Yes, that is, that's the best I've ever heard it describe.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like you, you can settle into yourself like a, like a hippo into a warm mud bath. You know, there's, I, I feel like, I mean, I felt as a teenager, like I was just dancing on coals the whole time. And this is, um. It's a great relaxation, and uh, it it is, I think, what most people who are raised in a non-shitty environment would call relaxing. But when you're raised in a shitty environment, that relaxing thing is not only hard to come by. Isn't it fair to say it's just utterly unknown? Yes. Yes, it was. I I mean, you travel from a shitty home to usually shitty schools to shitty churches to shitty relatives to – Malls where you're <laughs> chased off, and right, I mean, just no place to relax. My friends and I used to just go to the woods. We'd spend, we'd pull together our money, we'd get 30 cents, we'd get a can of beans, and we'd go to the woods, we'd build a little fire, we'd open the beans with a rock, and we'd just cook the beans and eat the beans and listen to the sounds of nature. Sometimes we'd go half an hour without saying a word. And uh, you have to go far away from people to get peace in this world sometimes, right? Yeah. Plus, your, when did your social anxiety hit? Has it been sort of as long as you can remember, or did it arise more recently? Oh, I guess more in your teen years. Uh-huh.
5: And towards the end of elementary school, so fourth grade maybe third, fourth grade, uh, we moved during that time, and I remember not being able to to talk to the the people I didn't already know, the the new people in that school.
0: Right, right. I mean, when your kids are going into a new social environment, parents need to work extra hard to try and help them make connections. Right. A lot of times, it's just you get thrown into school, and it's like good luck, or not even good luck. It's not even mentioned as a challenge but when your kids are in a new environment I mean as a parent you really need to you gotta have the play dates you gotta work to know the other parents you gotta try and wedge your way into an existing social structure right I mean it's uh, it's not easy at all for kids and, and parents can do a lot but I I don't imagine that was exactly job one on your parents to do list right no it wasn't did your mom work as well uh,
5: she stayed home until I was about five I believe
0: it So did you uh did you stay with the opiates did you move on to other stuff or has it mo- what well, was it mostly opiates?
5: It was pretty much just opiates. I you know I had smoked marijuana and stuff like that but n- and nothing else ever, you know. Nothing else ever just got up for me. Nothing else was the same.
0: Right. And how long were you uh, on the substances? Uh, 10 years. Right. How do you feel when you say that? Like, uh, just, it was a
5: wasted 10 years. Like, it was, my life was a disaster.
0: No, no, not not, not a description, <laughs> Travis. How do you feel when you say that? That was the first time I really caught a sense of emotion in your voice when you said 10 years. So,
5: Shame. <laughs> Go on. And more guilt. <laughs> and what
0: else? I don't know. I don't know how to that-
5: Describe my feelings without going into more description.
0: Um. Let, let's try this. Let's try this. So, pretend that I'm you at the age of 16, the day before the night I take my first opiate pill, the pain, pain pills. Mm-hmm. So, let's pretend I'm young, Travis, right before, right before, an hour before I take my first pill. What would you say to me? Say, please don't do this.
5: Please, please, please don't do this. It's going to destroy your life. What else? It's going to hurt everyone around you. It's going to put you in a pit you're never going to be able to climb out of.
0: I think I would say to young Travis that I would say, Travis, the pill that you might take tonight is going to be your first indication of how much in pain you really are. How hurt, how angry, how enraged how shattered you are, and you won't know how hurt you are until you spend an hour or two not feeling that pain. And then, when the opiates wear off, that pain will return, but you will really know it for the very first time and the depths of your own pain will be shocking, appalling, and horrifying to you. And you will not know how to handle that pain and that anger, except by diving back into nuking it with opiates. The pain can be handled, the pain can be dealt with. But if you suddenly switch it off and then it comes back ferociously, it will seem utterly unmanageable to you without the drugs. I mean, if you have a log that's trapped on your leg, you kind of need to lift it up slowly, right? You rip it off and your leg's going to just be unbearable. And the problem with the opiates is that they're going to take that pain away and you'll be shocked at what it feels like to be kind of normal. And then when your old self comes back, it's going to come back like a hammer to both eyeballs. And you're going to go crawling back and screaming back and running back and you'd bite the road to drag yourself forward to get back to those opiates because the unbearableness of yourself to yourself has been revealed by its brief absence. You don't even know how much you're crying until the bright light is turned off for a moment, right? right, You don't even know how much in agony you are until the pain vanishes for a short while. You think it's just life. Turns out it's not turns out it's agony but it was so constant you didn't know it like you ever have a really annoying sound that you get used to and then it goes away and comes back it's like you get annoyed all over again right yeah that's exactly
5: how they made me feel normal
0: right i mean you didn't you weren't at like happiness level 100 and you wanted to go to 200 right you were like minus 50, you just want to get to 50 or 75, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, people don't take drugs to feel ecstatic in general. I think. I think they take drugs just to feel a little bit normal. To feel a little bit like they didn't have the childhood that they did have, right? right? Drugs fundamentally are different parents. If you had different parents, you wouldn't need the drug because you'd feel like that most of the time anyway, right? Drugs are cutting out your snarling parents from the family portrait and replacing them with some version of the cleavers, right? Oh, shit. You're probably too young to even get that reference, right? Yeah. But, <clears throat> But we want We want drugs because we want a different childhood. We want drugs because we don't want to carry the burning logs that our parents dumped on us. It's a desire to end up in a different continent called happiness because you just weren't on the shit ship your parents were sailing. And it's, it's very tempting, right? Yes it, is. yes, it is. I can be as if I was never hurt. My pain and my history and my victimization can all be removed with one tiny pill. You know, I mean one of the most famous songs from Pink Floyd is Comfortably Numb right and in that song he sings not about the achievement of happiness right Comfortably Numb Drugs is not about ecstasy It's about pain erasure. And it feels like ecstasy only because the pain is so chronic and constant. And I'm sure you understand most of what it is that I'm talking about. But if you understand it as a form of agony management from an incredibly victimized and brutalized and repetitively assaulted childhood. How does that strike you as a perspective? I can relate to that. It sounds dead on to me. And uh, are you feeling anything? You keep sniffing it. I think you're getting upset, but I think you just have a runny nose, right?
5: Uh, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I,
0: uh, oh no, that's I'm fine. Sorry. That's fine. But what do you what do you think or feel about what I'm saying?
5: Uh, I can relate to that. I that's agony management that really struck me. It's an excellent way to describe how I feel about it. How did you stop? Um, I went to a doctor and got on some medicine that helps you Step down basically, you know, step down over the course of a couple of years until I finally just
0: stopped. Were you um, were you hitting it pretty hard near the end? Oh yeah, I, um, I overdosed
5: a few times, and that last the last time I, I woke up after sleeping for two days, head is huge purple splotches all over the side of my body where I laid in the same position for so long and my heart slowed down so much that all the blood settled to that. that
0: Oh, shit. Man, you're skating pretty close to the edge of the volcano there, brother.
5: Yeah, I really almost died that time. My little brother slept beside the bed all night to make sure I stayed
0: breathing. So you still have some love in those around you, right?
5: Oh yeah, I still I love it. I love my
0: brother. Well, my understanding as well, Travis, is that when you start taking drugs, your emotional development stops right because you don't learn coping mechanisms you don't expand your willingness or capacity even really to reason with yourself to talk yourself out of things that are irrational and so on because right there's the the solution is right there in the palm of your hand right yeah i mean if i had a magic pill that gave me abs you wouldn't catch me doing a sit up from here to eternity right yeah not that sit ups have given me abs i still have i mean an ab but um so i mean that's that's the challenge too it's like okay so you're off the drugs but there's some circling back and regrowing and and skill development that you need to do right yes and do you do any therapy have you done any talk therapy at all no uh-huh. would you consider that do you have any access to that kind of stuff yes i um
5: um, recently I've been looking into it a little bit. Uh, I think I'm, I need to get on it.
0: Yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, the great temptation about ending in addiction, or I think, at least as far as I understand it, the way that, that the temptation works is, okay, so you're off the drugs, which means, yay, not dying. So good. I mean, that's good. But the problem is that There's um, the baggage you had before the drug use, and by baggage I don't mean like stuff that you went out and chose from a store but basically was thrown down an incinerator chute onto your young mind. There's all the baggage that you had before you started. Then there's the additional baggage of having been an addict and all of the associated dysfunction that comes with that, right? And yet there's also 10 years of the non-development of alternative coping skills then than drug use, right? And so what happens, I think, with addicts who quit, it's like, it's like, okay, well, I don't know how to move forward and my life feels kind of stuck and that creates more discomfort and pain and I think that's the temptation for going back, right?
5: Yeah, I definitely do feel stuck.
0: (laughs) Right. And I think the stuckness comes from you've moved forward biologically but emotionally there's probably been quite a bit of stagnation. And so I think a talk therapist can be fantastic in helping to teach you the skills that should have been taught innately to you as a child through good and kind and wise and loving and patient examples and, you know, mild corrections uh, and suggestions and advice from parents that you loved and respected, which, you know, sounds like pretty much the polar opposite of what you've got. And, Because those skills weren't innate to you and because you didn't develop them as a result of the drug use, you're kind of stuck at probably even a younger age than 16 in terms of like your emotional skills. And I think – but but the good news is that you can learn those. I mean I assume everyone who listens to this is smart until proven otherwise and it's been eight years or seven years. So I think I'm going to still go with that. So you're a smart guy. And if you listen to this show, I assume you have interest and capacity for the value and pursuit of self-knowledge. So the good news is that you can learn these skills actually quite quickly. It's not like learning Japanese from a standing start. And so if you do go into talk therapy, which my incredibly strong suggestion would be to, like, call tonight, call in the morning, find someone – um, who you trust who who you feel comfortable with, and really trust your instincts on that because you know a therapist is in is incredibly vulnerable position to be in with a therapist, and you know don't feel like obligated to just go with someone because they're there and you 've been before, but talk to them and and try and understand do you have you know tell them your situation, do you have experience helping people with this kind of stuff? You can develop coping skills emotional skills, negotiation skills both with yourself and with others pretty quickly with the right therapist, and I think that would give you. The opportunity to deal with your social anxiety by understanding the root cause, which is, you know, if I airdropped into a remote village in Japan and I was hit every time I got Japanese wrong, I don't speak Japanese. I'd be pretty fucking stressed. And so understanding that your social anxiety comes out of a brutal environment and that you can learn these skills quite quickly that will allow you to move on in your life and not just catch up but surpass people. Who haven't gone through this kind of stuff we you know we're not aiming to get out of the wheelchair and join the normal walking people we go from wheelchair to superhero like we go from um from hell born to krypton born that's all all we get those are the only two choices we have we victims right uh you're either a victim or a hero uh that's all you don't get to return to normal which is you know i guess kind of a relief right but at least it is for me but that would be uh, my my strong suggestion Um, as to the best way to move forward I'll do that yeah and will you drop us a line and let us know how it goes yes yes I will keep listening to the show of course don't donate anything take your money take your money and give it to the therapist don't give it to don't give it to us I already have (laughs) well don't do any more then (laughs) <laughs> and if you need it back to pay for therapy, just let us know. We'll send it right back. All right? All right. Thank you, Stefan. All right. Thanks, Travis, man. Stay strong. Good Good job getting off, and uh, you'll do great moving forward, I feel it.
1: Like. All right. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks, Travis. All right. Up last today is David. And David wrote in and said, self-doubt. How can I be more sure when to push through with a decision or not? I have a problem with overconfidence and underconfidence in different situations. I'm interested in making my confidence more consistent with regards to business and relationships.
0: Mm. Overconfidence, Mike do you, do you, do you think that we've ever had a problem with overconfidence here? Have ever? <laughs> I think I think it's more just grandiosity and megalomania. I don't think overconfidence. Overconfidence isn't strong We're enough. Gonna change I'm the <laughs> We're going to change the world. We're going to change the world. We're going to heal childhoods. We're going to end war. We're going to end the state. We're going to end religion. Uh, other than that, and and then we want to go to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> so, so
2: yeah. Hi Stefan. Um, Hi. Just before uh, we continue, I just want to bring some things to the table. I've actually been. I'm. i I grew up in an Asian community. So um, you just keep that in the back of your contacts. And I tend to ramble a lot. So if I, ram- I start rambling, you can cut me off anytime. You bet. Okay. Um, so my chief problem comes with the fact that I think my certain behaviors have given me value. But these very behaviors sort of hinder me f- from moving forward. So uh, one example would be through business relationships. So um, I have my own company in, um, back from where I came from and i have problems with um not um how do i say lying in um lying to so called business people because you you have to put up a certain front when you go um about talking to business people and sometimes i have a little bit of a trouble trying to rationalize the lies away so
0: okay wait 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 you just did the two separate things the first thing mm-hmm. you said was um, that you have to put up a certain front. Yes. And the second thing you said was lies. Yep. The, the, those two things don't see, seem quite exactly the same thing.
2: Mm, how so? As in, um, because as in, by my definition, putting up a front would be the equivalent of lying, is it?
0: I don't think that's necessarily the same thing, right? So let's say I'm having a bad day, right? All right. And let's say I'm going to the dentist. Now, I have a really nice dentist, so the two aren't (laughs) the same thing. But um, my dentist uh, or my hygienist says, you know, how are you, right? Mm -hmm. And I say, I'm fine. You know, I'm okay, right? Because I'm not going to sit there and say, well, I stubbed my toe and then I got bitten by um, a fire ant and, you know, whatever, right? Okay. So I'm saying I'm fine, right? Yes. And, um, you know, I was sick last year, but, you know. Whenever the waiter said, uh, how are you guys doing? I didn't say, I'm reeling from chemo, right? Yep. So um, that's uh, – you could say that's putting up a front or whatever. I think that's just uh, you know an appropriate level of sharing for <laughs> the social context. Okay,
2: correct. Right? But um, so um, my business partners will be telling uh, um, other people, other business people, about how they have certain um, – Facts coming up or say uh, we're expanding or we're doing something. We are getting a new deal soon in a couple of days or weeks or whatever. But it's not exactly um, confirmed, you see. And I don't really exactly like to.
0: Yeah, you don't, don't do that. Yeah. I mean, don't do that stuff. I mean, I know it's tempting. I know it's tempting. So uh, after this, what you need to do is you need to go to um, YouTube yes. and you need to type in um, – you two, live. I was a sailor. I was lost at sea. It was under the waves before love rescued me. <laughs> when love, when love comes to town, is the name of the song. Okay. It's live when love comes to town, and it's from Rattle and Hum. Okay. And uh, it's a pretty young Bono. It's a it's a pretty great song, I think, too. And Bono uh, is uh, wrote the song for B.B. King, and B.B. King is one of the great american blues guitarists okay and bb king walks on the stage and he says basically listen man i (laughs) i don't do chords like uh, other people other people in the band do chords i'm absolutely horrible at chords i'm horrible at chords he keeps repeating that right yeah and uh (laughs) i i think that's great and then bono says something like uh you know, it's not like there's a lot of chords in the song. I think there's like three, okay. <laughs> something like that. And so B.B. King is basically saying I'm terrible at stuff, right? Okay. And that is a, a sensible thing to say. Oh. Look, I, I'm always told – when I was in the business world, everyone was always telling me, oh, we're doing great. We're expanding. We're doing exactly. – I didn't care. I didn't care. And assumed that they weren't telling me the truth. Yes. And the reason I assumed they weren't telling me the truth is that almost every business venture is really, really hard. (laughs) There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of uncertainty. Yes. There are uh, real challenges – There's times where you just want to throw yourself under a bus. Mm -hmm. There's times when things fail, and there's times of unexpected glory and success. I mean, it's it's hard. The life of an entrepreneur is very exciting. It's very hard. Yes. And so when everyone says, oh, it's going great. We're growing. We're doing this. We're doing that. I know that even if that's true (laughs) – they're not telling me the truth. Yes. Because everyone says, "Oh, we're growing," like that's just fine. Hey, man, I was in a company that grew 50 uh, grew 50 to 100% every single year. Yes. The company that uh, I co-founded. Do you know how tough that was? No. Because growth is really tough because growth means you've got to go and get more office space. You've got to hire more people. You've got to train more people. You've got to get different suppliers. You've got to grow the people you already have. Some of them will grow and some of them won't. Some people get annoyed that the intimacy of the early company is gone, right? You've got to change the whole work ethic. I mean, you've got to put in a lot of policies and procedures, right? I mean, it's really hard to grow a company. Growth is not like oh it's everything's great we're growing it's like oh no <laughs> we're growing <laughs> mm-hmm. right and so um, yeah so um, back to so, the point of you uh, no 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 hang on let me let me just finish my thought here okay. so when people tell me everything's going great I know that, like in the business world mm-hmm. um, I know that they're basically just selling me a bill of goods yeah. and it really I, I I just I just would undervalue. Mm. Uh, what they're saying, right? And so, you know, pe- we, when we were growing and doing well, and people say, how's the business going? I say, well, it's, it's growing, but man, alive, It is really complicated and challenging to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, we went from like uh, basically three employees to 45 employees in a couple of years, and uh, that's a real challenge. It's a real challenge. And um, so, you know, when people just say everything's going great, I mean, just... <laughs> Nobody who's, who's got any real sense is going to believe you, and it's going to undermine your credibility with people whose opinion you probably really need, like the people who's, whose interest and in opinions you probably really need. Does, does that make any sense? It does, it does.
2: Um, you sort of answered my question in the second part of your answer, so that's good. Um, and in the sense that you don't have to sell yourselves too hard, um, and all you have to do is just present them with a real case that it's challenging basically
0: yep it is look I mean uh, know, knowing that that there aren't easy answers in life and, and there aren't I mean you, you've heard me I, I, I swear I sound like a broken record half the time right yeah I mean how many times if you listen to this show how many times have you heard me say I'm just an idiot amateur on the internet I'm just some guy on the internet I'm not an expert I'm like how many times do I say that many times many 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 times yeah Many times now, I know that I have, you know, verbal skills and charisma. I can think well on my feet and all that. So, if I wanted to be an expert that people defer to, I could probably pull that off with quite a lot of people, right? Yes. But I don't want that because the whole point is to empower other people and have them think for themselves and and also model legitimate humility. I can make some reasonable cases with a reasonable amount of knowledge, but right? I'm always sending people off to other experts, right? Yes. I'm always, I mean, yeah. it's just the last guy. Hey, go go see a therapist. therapist yeah. I mean, I say that all the time. All the time. At, like, just about everyone who's got trouble, go see a therapist, because I am not a therapist. And uh, people need that one-on-one stuff, right? A philosophical conversation can't reparent people, but a therapist, skilled therapist can. And so, uh, so I think that In terms of having this sort of overconfidence versus underconfidence, overconfidence breeds underconfidence – And underconfidence contributes to overconfidence. It's kind of a vicious circle. And it's a pendulum that gets wider and wider, right? Because if you're overconfident, then you overpromise. Yes. And when you overpromise, you end up under-delivering, which makes you feel like crap. And then rather than face the fact that it was the consequence of your prior overconfidence, you then say, well, man, I really screwed that one up. So I better go and get some more stuff. So I better go oversell myself again. And it's a cycle, right? Yep. So – um, I think just a realistic uh, humility just goes uh, goes a hell of a long way, and most of the people who've achieved a lot, uh, I find, uh, tend to um, have a pretty, pretty realistic assessments of their own capacities. Okay. I'm good at this. I'm I'm not good at that. Right. Yep. That's very true. Hey, Mike. Mike. Yes. Mike, would you like to to give people a taste of the things I'm not good at? <laughs> remembering to write a back cover book description for the Handbook of Human Ownership.
1: <laughs>
0: Maybe I did write it. Maybe I sent it by carrier pigeons. Do you ever think of that? Eighteen oh, months ago. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, basic. You know, some basic organizations remembering details, uh, remem- remembering schedules. I mean. We could go on and on, right? I mean, the, the challenges that I have uh, are not inconsiderable. I mean, I think they'd be better if I wasn't parenting, but nonetheless, right? Um, those aren't my uh, – <laughs> to put it charitably, those aren't my strengths, right?
1: And everyone's got different strengths and weaknesses. And being aware of that and knowing what it is and fitting everyone together in a way that it works the best is – I found it to be incredibly important. Because I certainly have a lot of weaknesses and having everyone aware of what those are so they can pick up slack in those areas is, is certainly helpful.
0: Right. Okay. Right. Um, I'm 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 good in a fight. I'm not so good at avoiding fights. <laughs> which sometimes could can be could can be can be quite helpful, right? Yeah.
2: Um. All right. Um. Thank you very much. Uh. I'd like to move on to the personal relationships part, if you don't mind. Sure. Um. I tend. Um, this goes back to the overconfidence and underconfidence part because sometimes with women I'm overconfident and sometimes with women I'm underconfident. So um, I attract the t- wrong types of people I feel. And while I have a lot of fun, I. I know ultimately uh, this is not exactly why I want to end up in the end. So I'm having slight
0: man alive. You are you are an abstract son of a bitch in this stuff. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no. no I, I, I'll, okay, I'll give you more. Yeah, give me some concrete issues, right? Don't don't give me all these words. I have fun, but it's not always positive fun. But sometimes it's not overly negative. And <laughs> ah! what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. Okay. What are you? Okay, you're talking about romantic relationships, right? Okay, so what are you looking for? What are you looking for in romantic relationship? Okay. Um. I wanted to look for something stable, basically, but um, a nice Asian girl—that's what your mother told me. Pretty much. Pretty no, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm not really a nice Asian girl who won't be nice to your children.
2: All right. Yeah. Um, I'm car- actually car- uh, currently residing in a European country right now, but um, never mind. Um, so yeah, I I've listened to several of your podcasts about uh, women in general, and I want to know specifically how I could stop myself from going to dick mode. Because sometimes... Going to what? Dick mode. Basically, dick not, dick not mode. thinking <laughs> with my head. Because when, right. some go, when some of the women that just look fantastic, um, I sort of short circuit in that sense. I want to learn how to stay...
0: Oh, you can't. No, no you can't. Listen. <laughs> the reasoning center shuts down when sexual arousal, particularly in a male flares up. I, I don't believe this is quite as true for women. I think with women, the Machiavellian brain between the boobs flares up when sexual desire occurs. But for men, a ne- the neofrontal cortex basically shuts down. And, and, and for men, sexual desire renders us about as good at reasoning things through as drugs, alcohol, and a significant concussion. So uh, that's a, you. You can't. I mean, I'm a big one for you know, surmount biology when you can. But uh, as the old joke goes, right? When it comes to the penis and the brain, there's only enough blood for one. And you simply, I don't think it's realistic to say, how can I not think with my penis? Right? Oh, does that mean I'm screwed? No, 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 because like you recognize that, right? So you recognize and you say, ah, so this very attractive woman is going to cast a spell on me and is going to attempt to strangle me with my own penis. I'm <laughs> no, just kidding, yep. right? Because, you know, some attractive women can be incredibly lovely. I am fortunate enough to be married to one, but um, but no, it's, it's recognizing that this drug exists, right? Mm, yes. Like,
2: have you ever been drunk? I've actually just come back from something that might have made me quite drunk, but yes.
0: Okay, so so do you drive a car when you're drunk? Uh, no. Right. So once you recognize that you can't safely drive a car drunk, right, you recognize that you cannot make romantic decisions when in the throes of lust. Yes. So it doesn't mean you're screwed. It's like if I say to you, like if you say to me, how do I drive safely drunk? And I say, you can't. Then you say oh so I'm screwed to never get anywhere it's like no just take a cab which I guess means masturbate like crazy I don't know but but okay. you you can't uh, like you you cannot make sensible decisions when in the throes of lust and that doesn't mean that lust is bad and it doesn't mean that you have to avoid women or anything like that any more than cars are bad and you have to avoid being in a car when you're drunk just don't be driving right okay so if you see a woman who's like turns your head every which way but loose, and she's just your type physically. And you, Okay, so recognize you're now drunk. You're now sperm drunk. Okay. And you cannot drive the pussy when you are drunk with the sperm, right? Yes. And that doesn't look... That may be the woman you marry. I don't know. But it means that you say, okay, so now I know this. I am not g- going to make uh, any crazy decisions while... I'm in the state because, and you can do the research, and look it up, right? What happens to the male brain with sexual arousal? Yep. It, it, it is literally uh, a, a reason destroying drug that attempts to, attempts to downgrade our operating system to semi simian in order to plant the seed and let us deal with the consequences when lawyers chew our testicles off, right? Yep. So that would be you know just recognize that it is an altered state of consciousness wherein you cannot reason and therefore. Uh, just don't let it take take you over but you can't fight it i mean it's so you you can't become a good driver when you're drunk but you can not get into the car does that make sense yes
2: hmm. so that means that i i kind of have to consult my friends constantly when something like this happens
0: well yeah I and mean, look you can chat with the woman and you know whatever right but you have to recognize that you can't make any substantial decisions while you're in the throes of lust. And look, it's not, I don't know how long it lasts, but it's, you know, the typical romantic high lasts about six months. In other words, nature says, let's pretend that you like each other based on hormones until one of you gets, until the woman gets pregnant and then just deal with the fallout. Because remember, your penis is not designed to make you happy. It's designed to make another penis with legs attached so that it can then go and make another penis with legs attached. And basically they're like those giant imperial walkers on the hoth planet instead of lasers they're shooting sperm they're just machines of more penis machines of more penis machines of more penis of me, machines of more penis right so it's, it doesn't have your best interest at heart it doesn't have your happiness it has photocopy 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 that's what it does right yep and it will use every trick in the book right i mean geez talk about feminine wiles it's penis wiles that really get us screwed up it's going to just try and make another person. That's all it's trying to do. And it really doesn't know anything about lawyers, and it doesn't know anything about prenups, and it doesn't know anything about family courts, and it doesn't know anything about college costs or anything like that. It's just more people, more people, more people, more people. That's all the sperm is screaming. And whatever they can do to get you to get those things introduced to an egg, whether formally or informally, legally, uh, in terms of being married or common law or dating or what have you, right? It can be a turkey based riff, she's a sperm jacker that the whole point as you know is just to get sperm to egg to new person, sperm to egg to new person it's not romance, right it's photocopying all you are is toner (laughs) that's all you are and uh, so it's not uh, dewy eyed romantic, it's just you know, and see an attractive woman, it's like wow I bet you you she'd make a great new me (laughs) Right. But and that's all that's going on. And that doesn't mean there's no such thing as love and bloody, bloody, blah, blah, blah. Right. But we just need to understand our animal natures, our base simian natures, uh, in order to uh, work with them and refine them to something that's uh, slightly more happiness, sustainable, if that makes any sense. Yes.
2: Um, so with regards to confidence, all I have to do is pretty much go about my way, but have a little bit more stop gaps in between.
0: Sorry, could you just say that part again?
2: Um with uh, with regards to my confidence with um dealing with women then I should um go about the same way as I have been just I have to keep track of my own thinking and not go crazy in that sense because um
0: I mean yeah, I mean it sounds a bit sort of self-managing. Um if if you really want to be uh, attractive to women, yep. Then you need to basically be skeptical of what they can offer you. Okay. And that doesn't mean mean, doesn't mean nasty or anything like that. But what's, you know, what, what do you bring into the table? Not what do you bring into the chair, which is the pussy, but what do you bring into the table? Right? And that's, again, that doesn't mean being mean or making yeah. people jump through hoops or whatever, but to be attractive to women, uh, simply be skeptical of their value, which is a very rational thing to do, because yeah. not a lot of women have value and Just so people understand where i 'm coming from, not a lot of men have value either Desert. not a lot of people have value why because they 're not philosophical right yep. most people have about as much value to us as uh, alchemists do to scientists <laughs> i mean they 're just a bunch of superstitious uh, fools right yep. and you know we patient and we understand, and we try and educate them and so on right. But to those of us who reason, to those of us who are philosophical, to those of us who understand what virtue really is, what does the average person have to offer? That's true. You know, maybe they can fart in your seat so it's warm when you sit, but I'm not sure about a whole lot of other stuff that they do that is a value. So if you are a philosopher, if you are a thinker, if you are a reasoner, and if you pursue virtue and self-knowledge and so on, recognize that uh, tits don't match philosophy. Yep. So, you know, the fact that she's got a full-on airbag deployed set of baby feeders doesn't mean that she brings value to your life uh, from a moral sense, from a yes. sense of virtue and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And so, you know, a beautiful woman sits across and your penis is like, okay, I don't care. We're going in. And you're like, well, you know, <laughs> just because we don't want to get you, uh, you know, we don't want to uh, lawyer stuff and cherry bombs down or speedos. Um, Let's figure out if this is someone who's going to make not just another another me, but make us happy together, right? Yes. So, yeah, just say, oh, you know, be friendly and all that, mm-hmm. but uh, see, uh, see what the woman has to offer you. I mean, it, from a biological standpoint, it's deeply exciting for a woman when a man is skeptical of her value. Do you know why? Why? Um, oh, you know why. I do know why. But, um,
2: yeah, actually, um, yeah. It does make sense. Um, I guess it's it's funny because I've listened to many of your podcasts and the things you have told me just now were quite a rehash of things I've heard before. But Mm. I guess it's just reassuring to hear it specifically to me, I guess.
0: Oh, listen, nobody learns piano from watching someone play piano, right? I mean, you need to actually sort of sit down and be stabbed through some stuff, right? Yep. For those who are asking, I'm sorry, (laughs) the reason that it's deeply exciting for a woman when you're skeptical of her value is that it indicates to her ovaries that you have a lot of resources, right? The ovaries want resources and the penis wants the eggs, right? And that's because to have a child is not enough for sexual success. You actually need to raise the child. And so the ovaries want resources, And the sperm wants the eggs, right? Now, if 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 an attractive woman is talking to you and you're skeptical about her value without being hostile, which indicates resentment and pettiness and manipulation, if you're skeptical about her value, what you're saying is, I am not sure that your eggs are worth my resources. In other words, the more attractive the woman is and the more skeptical you are of her value to you the more you're saying that despite the fact that you're very beautiful, I am not sure you're worth my resources. What that indicates to her ovaries is that you have a fuck ton of resources, to put it technically. Or you believe that you will (laughs) at some point, right? And, um, you know, the old thing that women respond to confidence. No. (laughs) No. No. Because if a woman sees a man who's about to jump off a bridge – and he's confident he can fly. She says, "Well, that guy's crazy, <laughs> right? Women do not. Women don't respond to confidence. Women respond to resources, and it's in the same way that men respond to fertility. Again, this is not. It doesn't mean all women, and it doesn't right, but biologically, this is what the apparatus is for, right? And so, uh, women respond to resources. Now, confidence is um, uh, a reflection of our existing resources or our belief yes. in the willingness to get those resources, right? Yep. I mean, you think of this woman who was uh, beaten up in the elevator by her NFL husband, right? So, obviously, he's a pretty brutal guy, right? I mean, he beats her up and then she marries him, right? Because he's got lots of resources. What is $37 million contract or something, right? Yep. So, he's got a lot of resources. He's alpha male from a very primitive standpoint. He's he's high status right she gets uh, fame uh, she gets uh, notoriety i guess she gets uh, money and and so on right and uh she she uh, likes the fact that he's you know big and strong and mean because that's why he gets 37 million dollars a year because he's big and he's strong and he's mean and then he's big and strong and mean in an elevator well sadly tragically that's partly why she's getting 37 million dollars cuz he's Physically responsive uh, to threats, and he's aggressive and violent, and uh, so so this level of aggression, right? I mean, and this is something that um, uh, our good friend Dr. Warren Farrell has talked about. That uh, the woman wants a dominant man, right? Uh, you know, she wa- a lawyer who a lawyer's supposed to win, right? Business people are supposed to win. You're supposed to win the contract. You're supposed to decimate the competition. You're supposed to be aggressive and alpha and win, 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 right? And then, so so they're very attracted to that because that. Aggressiveness, that dominance status uh, or dominance approach, what that does is it signals to the ovaries that the guy either has a lot of resources or is going to get a lot of resources, uh, which is another reason why women respond to even features and height and so on, because those are signals that the person is going to make more money. Tall people make more money, attractive people make more money. And so the woman marries a man who's got the dominance characteristics to get her a lot of resources, and then what does she complain about? He's emotionally unavailable, yep. and it's like, well, of course he's emotionally unavailable because he's an alpha, he's a dominant, he's a win-lose life form. I mean, you don't, you don't, I mean, you don't get to be. It's like it's like marrying a boxer and then saying, well, he's not sensitive. It's like, well, yeah, because if he had a lot of mirror neurons, if he was sensitive and empathetic, he wouldn't be a boxer. <laughs> right? So you married some heart surgeon who's a workaholic or you married some lawyer who win-win-wins and then you say, well, he's not emotionally available. And then – but that – yeah, of course, that's why he has all these resources because – he lacks empathy. I bought a car and so, he's not a boat. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and so women want the resources but the resources often come with emotional characteristics that are not empathetic or are, are, you know, kind of cold and kind of dominance based and win lose and all that and uh, and then they complain that he's not uh, emotionally uh, available. It's like, well, of course. I mean, you, you, this lawyer who's just won 20 cases in a row and has put a bunch of drug addicts in prison, of course he's not emotionally available because if he had access to emotions, he'd be too empathetic to be a successful lawyer under those circumstances. So anyway, I just sort of wanted to uh, um, to point out I just that. have one, but, last,
2: sorry, one last comment. Um, how would you view these women who respond to such alpha characteristics? I mean... On some level, I'm pretty sure all women respond to that kind of characteristics. So is it fair to write them all? Or I, I'm not too sure about what I'm saying here, actually. Because,
0: Well, no, because so look, I mean, if you can provide resources and emotional sensitivity, right? I mean, like Brad Pitt, I mean, he's got the face of a thug and the eyes of a poet, right? I mean, if you can provide both resources and emotional availability – that's complete catnip to, to women, right? Yep. Mm. I mean, if you, it's, it's like a woman bringing physical beauty without hypergamy to the situation, right? I mean, it's, it's, that's the ultimate, right? So if you can provide resources and emotional sensitivity and availability, fantastic. Now, the problem is, of course, that a lot of the attractive women – ...come from attractive mothers, and the attractive mothers use that attractiveness to get a man who had a lot of resources. So the women are primed to dominant characteristic, to respond to dominant characteristics and non-emotional availability, right? Yes. Which is why attractive women often call, often call emotionally sensitive men derogatory names, right? Yep. Because their mother traded in beauty for dominance characteristics in the male. Your daddy's rich and mom is good-looking, as the song says. So then they're on the lookout for uh, dominance characteristics in the male and the associated emotional coldness, which is very sexy. Yes. When the woman first meets the man and then becomes increasingly grating and horrifying uh, as they have children and they see the man workaholic and emotionally unavailable to the kids and brutal and mean and cold and all that kind of stuff, right? Like, I want you to leave – be the alpha at home – sorry, be the alpha at work and be the beta at home or whatever you want to call it. It's all nonsense, Right. So, um, so I, you know, don't have to write uh, these women off, but, uh, you know, don't, don't become a cold yeah. fish in yep. order to attract these women uh, because you, you want to find a woman who is going to value and respect yeah. who you are as a person. Listen, biology is about who provides what, right? Resources for eggs. I get it. But the reality is that if you ever want to be secure in love, you cannot be buying people off. you cannot be buying people off with money and you cannot be buying people off with beauty because money is uncertain and beauty fades.
2: But in a way, these characteristics do come into play as in you sort of need to have them in the first place. Um, you need to have what resources or Beauty in a, in a, in a girl, uh, so to speak, before you can sort of be looked at as someone to be with for the rest of her life, for example.
0: Uh, oh, yeah. So this is the, we need the chemistry, and then we'll get the love, right? Yeah, something like… No, no. The, the chemistry is just it's just… <laughs> you know you can get high on photocopying fluids, and that's basically the story of men's sexual adventures because <laughs> all their penises is just trying to photocopy, and they're high, and they think it's – no, screw chemistry. I hate that sort of shit, and I'm not saying that you're wrong or bad mm-hmm. for saying it. I'm just telling you my personal experience of it, all right? I hate this chemistry shit. Uh, chemistry is is just people's way of saying I don't want to outgrow my trauma. <laughs> yep. and I- Right? Well, there's just no chemistry. It's like, what are we like? According to chemistry, alcohol is a solution, right? I mean, what the, what does chemistry mean? Are, are we are we human beings? Can we reason? Can we think? Can we be virtuous? What the hell does chemistry mean? You know, well, I I didn't want to steal that that car, but there was just no chemistry in not stealing the car. I mean, what the hell does that mean? Yep, I, I guess. And and this chemistry no chemistry is an argument for. Um, I'm too lazy for self knowledge, so I'm just going to let hormones and history make my decisions and then say that there's chemistry. There's no zazz, there's no chemistry, there's no sizzle. You know, well, what the hell is chemistry and sizzle? It's either base physical attraction, which we all know is bullshit, or it's some sort of uh, a historical clicking of interlocking traumas. Yeah. But uh, no, chemistry, listen, every time I pursued chemistry, I've driven straight off a cliff, and I just wish there had been a quick and fiery ending to some of that shit. Uh, and every time I've, I've uh, judged and been skeptical, and I mean, that's how I, my wife and I, I mean, we didn't actually have chemistry when we first met, and now we can't pry each other apart. So anyway.
2: I, yeah, I know what you mean, but I guess it's, re- it's still really fun to have chemistry, but I guess it's not really very re- reliable. And...
0: Yeah, heroin is a lot of fun too, but you know, it's not a business plan for life, right?
2: Yeah. I I guess I need to grow up in that sense. But yeah.
0: Well you don't have to. It's just that it's choices and consequences, right? There is no have to, right? And unfortunately I have taught my daughter the difference between wants and needs. Mm-hmm. And now I'm constantly being corrected. Right. <laughs> right. You know, Dad, we need air. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't you want this. You don't need it. Right? Yeah. And she's right. And uh yeah, there's wants and then there's needs. And um, you, you don't have to, um, What you, you put it, grow up. I mean, it's just a recognition of reality that we are not – like we are built layer on layer on layer from single-celled organisms upwards, and we have all the same crap that has been layered and layered and layered through evolution on i mean evolution doesn't discard a whole bunch sometimes it just seems to keep accumulating and accumulating and accumulating right so we got the protozoa brain we got the lizard brain we got the amphibian brain we've got the monkey brain and now we've got this little bit jutting out which i call the post post monkey beta expansion pack which is still pretty damn buggy so it's just recognizing all the stuff that we sit on as a biological organism and trying to make rational decisions right i mean I mean, wouldn't we want to sit around in our underpants and eat chocolates uh, all day? Of course we would, right? But that's not healthy. I mean, it's not, not the right thing to do. So, you know, we pick up some hummus and we <laughs> go do some exercises. And uh, that's just going against the natural intention of our bodies, which is to conserve energy as much as possible and intake energy as much as possible. And so exercising and eating well just goes against their instincts. And this is just exercising and eating well for your penis. Uh, that's all. I mean, just, you know, resisting the natural impulses to eat chocolate and sit around on a couch all day and, uh, you know, go for a walk and go work out and eat a salad. <clears throat> it's not what our body says it wants, but yeah. we know it's good for us, right? So it's just the same kind of thing. Like uh, if you said, uh, Steph, you know, it's really fun to eat chocolate all day. And I say, well, sure it is. I get that. <laughs> but, you know, what are the long term consequences of that, right? You've got no teeth and a big ass, right? And um, I'm sure there's a fetish site for that too. <laughs> but anyway. Um, but but the reality is you say, well, I guess I just have to grow up. And it's like, no, you just have to recognize choices and consequences, right? You, you, can, you can go and, and just ride the wave of chemistry uh, straight uh, into a bunch of rotating lawyer blades if you want. But there's choices and consequences. And I think the wiser choice is to be skeptical of the value that uh, everyone brings into your life. And again, that doesn't mean being mean or hostile. But uh, it does mean being skeptical. Yeah. And uh, people of quality – will respect your skepticism, right? Yes. I mean, everybody is skeptical as hell of this show when they first start listening to it, right? They probably hear about it, some kind of crazy thing going on on the Internet, and apparently it's a, it's a nuclear bomb for families, and he's a terrible guy. And they start listening, and I want them to be skeptical. And then they read UPB where I say, gee, I think I solved the problem of ethics, secular ethics with no government and no state. And people are like, bullshit. Who is this guy, right? Some, some software entrepreneur uh, now, right? So, I, you know, be skeptical. Absolutely. I want, I want everyone to be skeptical. Because when people bring allegiance after skepticism, you can be certain of their loyalty, right? Not loyalty to me, right? Loyalty to philosophy, loyalty to reason and evidence and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I want people to be skeptical uh, just as I am skeptical. You know, I mean, I'm skeptical. I do a debate with people. I'm skeptical. (laughs) What are you trying to say? What are you trying to tell me? Uh, What is your argument? What's your evidence, right? Be skeptical. Uh, Everyone of quality respects the skeptic. Because it means they're keeping the junk out, right? Yes. I mean, when you go to a restaurant, you want them to be really skeptical of their suppliers. Well, how do I know this is the best stuff? Can you prove it, right? You want them to be really discriminating, right? And uh, I mean, when 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 you're going to go and see a movie… You want the director to be really skeptical of the quality of the actors, right? Like, oh, I know a guy who lives down the street. I'm, he'd, he'll be fine. Let's just cast him, right? <laughs> no, no, no. You have to go through like 19 different auditions and camera tests and audience tests, right? Everything that is of quality arises from massive, boundless, endless skepticism. I was skeptical of, of religion. I was skeptical of Marxism. I was skeptical of socialism, skeptical of statism, Ske- Right. So all the value in this show comes out of bottomless, boundless skepticism. All the value in science comes out of skepticism. I don't believe the God thing anymore. Let's find some facts and some truth. Uh, the, the free market comes out of skepticism. I don't know if this car is worth this amount of money. I don't know. They sell it to me. What's the, what, the advertising is all around overcoming skepticism, sometimes by not entirely honorable means. But skepticism is the great glory of mankind. And uh, skepticism means that... Uh, it, it's the great filter that keeps junk out, right? As I think Heinlein said, 90% of everything is crap, or sturgeon or someone. Mm. And yeah, skepticism keeps the crap out. And 90% of people are kind of junky and they'll never leave any mark in the world. And they're just going to basically, the, the only hope they have for leaving a mark in the world is breeding someone better than themselves. <laughs> and so um, just be skeptical and uh, your life will improve enormously thereby.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Steph. Um, it has really helped um, solidify some of my thoughts because everything you have said is something I've thought of before. I just don't exactly yeah. know how to choose which ones to, to adhere to. But, yeah.
0: Well, listen, I, I appreciate that. I, I just wanted to mention, and I don't want to go into this in detail because um, you, know, you send this stuff uh, to us, but uh, I'm incredibly sorry to, about, uh, about your childhood, and I just really wanted oh. to, to mention that. No, that's, that's wretched stuff. Um, that's uh, not a good ACE score. You know, that's always the test you want to fail. Okay, give me a zero. Uh, but I just really wanted to mention that, uh, you know, anytime you want to call in and talk about that, you're certainly more than welcome. But I, I just wanted to express some very deep sympathy okay. for um, the stuff you came out of and, and also my intense admiration for where you are and where you're heading. That's a, a very, very uh, impressive and admirable uh, places that you're going in your life, so good for you, man.
2: Thank you. But uh, I like to think that I'm over all my childhood stuff. Although my brother is still an alcoholic, but
0: yeah. Well, uh, skepticism least. will be your friend, right? <laughs> yep. So uh, I hope that helps. And thanks, thanks very much for calling in. No and do keep us posted if you can about how it goes. Sure. Thanks, thanks, man. Um, I guess that's it for our show. Look then, chew through, Only... Well, only two and a half, two hours, 40 minutes. Four callers Whoa. in two
1: hours, 40 minutes.
0: I'm skeptical. And that's what <laughs> happened. He... And that's what we call a quickie. <laughs> Actually, basically, we basically just banged a bunch of callers in the bathroom at the bar, I think, basically. <laughs> so, yeah, go wipe yourselves off. We're done. <laughs> so, um, yeah, thanks, everybody, so much uh, for, uh, for calling in, for continuing to... Um, I guess entrust your thoughts and feelings to to us uh, at Free Domain Radio uh, com slash donate to help out the show always massively and uh, gratefully appreciated uh, how are we doing this month Mr. Mike
1: uh, still down from last month still down from
0: last yeah. month so if you want to chip in and help offset that balance it is much appreciated yeah we seem to have kind of hit a bit of a ceiling over the last I guess since May mm-hmm. right yeah and um, so we'd like to sort of break through to the next thing of course uh, with uh with the cuckoo depositing stoyan in our nest we now have another mouth to feed. And uh so um I mean not much because apparently he can live on ramen noodles and sunlight. But um if you'd like to help out to help us grow. Um I guess we've been borrowing pretty fairly well, but it's sort of yeah, last sort of five, six months it's kinda of ceiling off and uh I know, I know, I know that there are economic challenges. And again, if you don't have money, just help spread the word, spread shows post stuff and uh, we'd really appreciate that too so have yourselves a wonderful week everyone and uh, we will talk to you wednesday